Hello and welcome everyone. This is the 85th episode of Everyday Channel. With me tonight, as usual, is the Lord, the Pope. Wait, I'm not the Lord. Come on. I'm the dove of peace and You're hope. You're not the Lord. No, no, no. We were just talking about a very famous yes. French Lord. French. Welsh Lord, actually. And that is our new Patreon, Francis, the FGC from the UK. Francis has been around for like forever, right? I, I've mm -hmm. known him as, as one of the, the guys from the London crew. He is known like uh, as the Tundra guy. He just always plays Tundras. And uh, he's even currently playing Doomsday, but a version with Tundras. And, uh, the Lord Francis. The Lord Francis. Uh, so thank you yeah. so much for your support, Francis. If you want to support us, you can also do that on patreon.com slash everydaychannel and see if there's still a spot left to support us. No, no seriously, thank you. Thank you so much for if your support. If there isn't a spot, we can just kick Francis off. It's fine. He <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have the highest bidder. We, we can only ever have, like I don't know, 50 Patreons, and then we start like auctioning off additional mm -hmm. sons. No, seriously. Mm -hmm. That's cool. You know what I was actually thinking? Do you, do you know what Among Us is? Well, I've been meaning to try and play it. I haven't played it at all, and I've not really watched it either, so I'm down to play it sometime. It sounds I, really fun. I was fun. kind of wondering whether we could put together a group in the in the Discord, so if you guys are mm -hmm. listening, um, let us know on the Discord. You can actually make a dedicated channel for it. I've been watching it so much. Okay. So, so much. And for those who don't know, it's basically a game. Uh, there's 10 people. It's, it's basically Werewolf, if you've ever heard about that, or, or Mafia, people call it. And... There's two imposters, so you're basically like eight legit guys and two people who are trying to murder everyone while you are completing your tasks to hopefully win. And yeah, so you, you can you can cast suspicion on people, you can vote them out, and in the end, one of the two teams is going to win. And this, this, I mean, just watching it in the group dynamics over time, if you keep playing with the same kind of people, same group, it, it it's really something else. And it, it's kind of funny to me because the game was actually released two years ago, but somehow a couple of big streamers only picked it up this summer and now it's blowing up to be one of the biggest things in history of twitch i think it's a cool story I, i've been following the twitch account of the program or the guy that runs it and he's just like saying everyone i know that the uh, rooms are full it's tough you can't get into games but it's it's one guy until maybe now he might have got some friends along to help him but it's been one person running it until very recently which is pretty crazy considering the amount of work that's put yeah. into it that's actually amazing. I read that they are actually not working on additional content for this version, but they're actually um, working on a second version to, to come out. Um, they probably should do that as long as the hype is still there, because usually hype somewhat dies down. But this game, it's it, it, yeah, it's really capturing me. Yeah, I've purposely not like looked into it too much, because I kind of I love the surprise of new games and new things. So you've just spoiled it for me. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I'm definitely down to play with the, the Discord if everyone wants to, or anyone, or you, or... Anyone hit me up, I'll try it out. And probably be also, terrible, maybe. but... <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you can only ever be so terrible at the game because there's it's based on, on I don't know. Yeah, I guess the dynamics will like go your way sometimes as well. Yeah, and people can help you out. Like If you really suck, you just run around and complete your tasks and hopefully nobody's going to cast suspicion on you. Like The, the mm -hmm. worst thing is if, if, if everybody is sure that you're the... Like the, the very worst thing is actually when there's three people left... One of them is the imposter, and uh -huh. then you get two people accusing each other. So the third one has to de has to cast the deciding vote, and if they get it wrong, they will feel so bad about it. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Okay. The allure of it. I'm super down with awesome. this. <laughs> what have you been up to, man? What have you been doing since our last episode a few days ago? Um, we have had a weekend, haven't we? Uh, what did I do on the weekend? I, I got a couple of messages where I was like, "Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm getting drunk." <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god, I had I had a like. Some friends leaving London had a lunch and then a, a housewarming and just actually 
fun, but uh, like commitments, I prefer to be doing something else, honestly. Played some Warhammer though, which is fun. Beer hammer, as we like to call it. So just drinking <laughs> beer, beer and playing super casually. What about you? Anything exciting? I guess you played in some of the events we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the... I th I'm going to call it a Legacy Super PTQ. I guess it's the same. That's yeah. some kind of... It qualifies it, you for a premier event where you have to play Arena, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then I also played the challenge. Uh, elves in both of those. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Nice. And yeah, and also just, once again, lots of cycling. Tour de France is super inspiring to me. I don't know, like, I, I love cycling. And right now, I even just did a night ride. Like, we're recording this at half past 11, my time. And mm -hmm. I just went out earlier for, like close to an hour just right through my through my town and check out a lot of places i used to live and it's, it's kind of funny I've, I've been i've lived in i don't know 12 different places throughout my life maybe maybe 15 wow that's so many so i was like oh i forgot i used to live over there and hey this house i remember this <laughs> is it is it really dark over there because i love cycling when it's like later but not when it's too dark I guess you have a light. Yeah, we, there, there, there's the, um, I don't know if, if it made to the UK, but there's the thing where if you use electricity and you can actually use that to illuminate streets. Really? I think you guys have that as well. I've seen it before. It sounds dangerous to me. I don't know. Yeah, it, open fire. That That's how they should do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the English way. Just like burning people the side of the road. Did you know how they used to do it um, in England when before alarm clocks were invented and you needed, needed to get up in the morning at a certain it was, time? It was a chicken or a rooster, right? Yeah, that's how you did it, I guess, if you lived yeah. in a farm or something. But if you lived in London, uh, nope. they actually had people who would wake you up in the morning at a certain time. They would actually come to your house and they, they had like a really long stick, like a really <laughs> long wooden stick. And they would actually knock on your window and wake you up that way. And you would probably pay them, I would guess. Is this true or is this like a Julian truth? This is serious. I, I read serious it on Reddit, truth? so it must be true. I, okay, like I actually, I, Yeah, I believe you then. Cool. I just wonder who wakes the wakers. Maybe they got a cycle where they continuously well, they, they've got to get up other. really early, right? They, they'll get up at 5 a.m. And then they'll have like a run. They uh, go down a certain street in a certain thing. Like a, like a postman, I guess. That's a lot of responsibility, man. It is. And then I guess any, anyone that doesn't get woken up blames them. So I can't imagine it pays as much either. In speaking of blaming, as it seems right now, a lot of people are actually blaming hashtag ban right of flame because I think for over 10 years, like something like 12 years ever since Cold Snap came out, there was like this gentleman's agreement on Legacy that we wouldn't abuse Rite of Flame. We'd only ever touch it like here and there and have a little bit of fun with it. But Brian, I don't know what happened, but Brian went overboard. He broke all the conventions, all the rules, all the agreements. And he just fully stocked his TS list, went into the Super PTQ and the Legacy Challenge on Sunday and won them both. Yeah, Like this insane. guy, wow. Like, such, <laughs> such an insanely dominant performance. And I mean, everyone will be pissed off that he gets Rite of Flame banned now. He's been like flirting with it for a while. He's always done super well. So he's always been on the edge of getting it banned. But now he's just like, if this is right, I don't want to be wrong of Flame. <laughs> so um, yeah, massive, like jokes aside, massive congratulations to him. Like he's, he's always done super well in these things, but just crushing a huge event into the, the largest Sunday challenge as well. This is so impressive. It's also interesting in the sense that the deck now fully committed to, to the Wishclaw, Talisman and Burning Wish plan. And they also have Tendrils of Agony back in the main deck. Uh, I think in the past, he used to run main deck Empty the Warrens for quite a while. So you could get smaller empties off, which was good enough against Delva. But I guess that's just not cutting it anymore. Or maybe he had to switch up a couple of sideboard spaces and stuff. And also for protection, he's now fully committed to just four Veil of Summer, two defense crits, no discard anymore. And I really, really like that. 
Yeah, it changes a lot. Like he has such a good crew around him as well, and he's constantly evolving and changing it. I know that actually quite recently they were on two Thoughtseize in the main deck. Mm-hmm. I know historically before Wishclaw they didn't have tendrils or empty in the main deck, so they always relied on Burning Wish. So that's when they played Infernal Tutor, and then this this was before Veil of Summer as well. And then Mox Opal edition like changed things. They have main deck defense grids. There's just so many things that change stuff around. One of the most recent things, which Bryant calls this Delver Killer. Um, Tez. He has four carpet flowers in the sideboard and like a main deck tiger to help this. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yep. You're right. Four carpet of flowers. Suck it. Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> carpet of flowers is a card which has like seen such a resurgence and it's like as blue gets better, I guess, and mana becomes a premium. So as cards get better, mana becomes better in a roundabout way. He calls it Delver Killer. You know what he should play? He should actually have a Living Wish and a Grizzlebrand in the sideboard. So he can go Burning <laughs> Wish, Living Wish, Grizzlebrand, and just cast that boy with empty yeah. with great, uh, carpet of flowers. Yeah. There is a uh, like Storm Entity as well on the sideboard you can Living Wish for. But oh, now- that, that's that's the one that has something... Is it the, the, has it, it Storm? It gets like a 1-1 one, one counter for each spell you've cast or something. Oh, silly. that's the one. I can't remember basically. actually. It doesn't have, I can't remember, I'm going to make a fool of myself on air once again, but I think it like doesn't have haste or something, or... It might have. Anyway, we're going off the deep end. Otherwise, like, it, each each iteration does look fairly stock for what we know as Tez now, but like the Mox Opal editions and the Veil of Summer editions and Echo have been the biggest takeaways in the, in the last couple of years. Uh, Wishclaw as well, like, Wishclaw really does change how you can play the deck. So the main deck tendrils does make more sense when you're just like playing a wish caller out turn two, and then that is you're like you're dumping the mana into it pre combo turn, and you're just threatening people like it's it's super strong in the deck. The downsides are yeah it like gets shut down by Khan, which is a bit of a pain, but Khan was already so strong against the deck you're not beating it that often. So um yeah anyone that wants to play this deck it's it's super powerful. It's been a better storm deck than ANT has been for for a while now i think everyone agrees because you either go under uh go under the slower blue decks or you you can also beat veil of summer with the uh the grape shot on the sideboard so yeah it just has the tools to beat yeah it's it's completely realistic as well it's how they win how they beat veil quite a lot like a lot of the time people will like cast veil and feel quite safe against storm but grape shot does not give a shit it's also kind of interesting there's nobody really carrying the torch for ANT anymore, right? There, there used to be people, I think in the end it was Cyrus, but Cyrus mm. now retired to become like the cynic critic of the legacy format, and I love that, <laughs> by the way. Cyrus should have his own podcast. I think he had at some point. He would be great. He like he needs to come back. He He's not holding back. Every time I hear Cyrus on a podcast, maybe we need to have him on in the future, if, he, if he's still available. Maybe he's actually taking commissions now. I don't know. For this word, there are some people still carrying the torch how they can. Um, Damato XP, who's uh, Daniel Damato, is his full name. He's been streaming recently a bit more. He did like a week's full streaming of Ant because people in the Discord said exactly what you just said. They said people aren't really carrying the torch and he stepped up to the challenge. So he's been doing more content and Cliffy, Michael Clifford, has been doing a bunch as well. Oh, so, does he? I thought he was he was a test guy. but uh, I No, no, he's always been like an Ant guy. Oh, I'm um, so sorry, man. Yeah, is oh this there, like, how much of a rivalry is there actually between... There's uh, not. I think, I think the only people that think there is are the non-Storm players. And everyone else is just like... <laughs> for a while, because Ant was better for a long time, there was this kind of superiority complex slightly from the Ant players. And Tez was this like uh, cousin which no one likes as much, I guess. And um, there was this like kind of feel-bads there a little bit because people kept bringing it up. But I, 
from what I can tell, there isn't actually a real animosity between any of them, and they both just love both decks and have respect for it. So, yeah. Awesome. So, do you like have a theory on top of like Brian being probably the best? I, I mean, let, let's cut the probably the best TS player in history of yeah. trade off the deck. Mm -hmm. On top of that. I have a feeling, like, I've got a feeling why the deck is so good, but do you want to go first? Do you, do, what makes you think that the deck is good right now? Well, it's it's partly what I described already. I think it's it's good versus Veil of Summer, which is a big deal. Veil of Summer's seeing a bunch of play, but it's not, like, at the height of the format right now. But just not being really cold to it is a huge deal. The deck is very good against Snow, I believe. Uh, I can't speak firsthand because I haven't played it myself for, for quite a while. But... um. The way to beat snow decks is not let them start casting all their cantropy things. When you're threatening to kill them on turn one and two pretty consistently, or especially turn three with a veil as well, especially getting around their veils as well, then they're like uh, astrolabes, ice fan quattles, and uros that all need to cantrip to give them the velocity which makes the deck good in the first place. It just doesn't really matter. They have access to like six or seven forces often, but the veil beats that, and and the speed just beats it as well. Like. You are throwing out these threats that Wish Claws and Burning Wish are still must counters. So I think that's a big deal. And then the I know that Brian was like struggling with Delver for a while and he's never content with that. So now he's put these four carpets and Tiger in the deck to beat Delver. I will say for these two events, someone mentioned to me today, so I can't completely confirm it myself, but someone mentioned that they watched through all of his replays. Uh, over the last couple of days and he didn't play against Delver a single time in both events which is pretty amazing actually but, <laughs> well there goes my theory then <laughs> <laughs> but th this is not to take anything away from it because he says it's good against Delver so I don't think that's like a I don't mean okay. that as a knock but it's an interesting point to keep in mind what's your theory? so my theory basically is that we don't really have an aggressive tempo oriented Delver deck in the format right now I guess that's less of, of a theory but more of a thing that's happening right now because even our most aggressive Delver decks that we have which I guess are Rock Delver uh, right now they are heavily relying on mid-range cards of like three mana cards Dreadhought Arcanist is amazing but it also takes like at least a turn or two to produce results which it's which is why it is so annoying against ANT right ANT would be the deck that grinds you slowly down and then eventually cable ritual for past in flames and do something broken on turn seven whereas this deck is like okay you you're gonna tap out on turn two for a one three that doesn't hurt me i'm gonna get you because this deck usually gets you on the second turn right I've, i rarely see it like it can definitely put up a fight and, and try it maybe a couple of resources and then eventually refuel on echo of eons for example but the way i see this deck work is it usually does something broken on the second turn if not on the first turn if, if the coast is clear and right now, I don't really feel like Delver decks are very well prepared to fight that. They got their six forces in the main deck, but really not much much else. Like, days is only so much of a problem, really, for these kind of decks. So, with four Veil of Summer, two defense grids, and even a bit of redundancy where you get to know whether your Wishcore Talisman resolves or not before you have to commit, I, I think there's nobody really out there to fully put on pressure and and have like spell pieces and fluster storms or maybe even discard kind of like like Grixis ever used to have in the past so I wonder what the next evolution is going to be because the way the cards have fallen right now we, at least that's what we say in German <laughs> the Rack Delver is kind of in its best configuration and guys like Daniel Götzl, Guldukat are really tearing it up with it but I wonder if the the next step is to maybe increase the sideboard hate against TS. Like, I played two Mindbreak Traps on the sideboard right now, which I think 
coming out of a non-blue deck, Mindbreak Trap is the best thing you're going to do against this kind of deck. And I think Brian actually has a thing on his channel where you can go exclamation mark MBT and, and the bot then is like, <laughs> hey, I, I actually don't know what Mindbreak Trap does. And it's not Brian, it's, it. but it's a couple of people have it. I know Justin Ganari has it as well. A few people, yeah, you just do exclamation mark MBT. Yeah, and it says like, I don't know what that card is and I'm not playing around it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're completely right, actually. It's a really good point. And that ties into what we were saying and I think a lot of people, why they say Arcanist and Oko are so good in Delver, the whole theory why they're good is because you have all these pitch counters. You have two to three force of negation, four force of will, and four days. So everything's free. But this is all very, like, I guess generic's not quite the wrong word, uh, right word, but it's like pretty straightforward and you know what you're getting yourself into. As you said, this deck can play around days very well because there's a lot more fast mana. It's not relying on rituals quite as much as the other Storm decks. And when you're playing, you're just playing against Force of Wills and Force of Negations, you have the Veils and Defense Grids, as you mentioned, and you're not scared of the Stifles, and you're not scared of the Spell Pierces countering your Duck Ritual or, like, messing you up on a mana or something like that. So you do have less to play around. So I think it would have a harder time if the Delver decks were becoming this more reactive Stifle Piercey version and faster storm as you said it's also super important that the graveyard doesn't almost doesn't matter right i mean the best card mm -hmm. in the deck right of flame it relies on it but other yeah. than right of flame against ant if you brought in ley lines that, that was like super legit because it cut off both their cable ritual plan as well as their uh, past and flames plan but against this kind of deck i mean i've seen people bring it in i've done it myself but really only when you got like four cards that you definitely don't want the kind of matchup and then you can bring this into maybe okay okay by the way okay Gonna take the back, there's one Echo of Eons. Yeah, there's one main one sideboard. So Echo is a plan, but it's like a, it's not your plan A. It's kind of like the uh, natural tutor lines from Ant. Like it happens, you do do it, but there you're wanting to pass some flames and Tez is just wanting to add nauseam. It's trying to add nauseam every single time. And that's also the beauty of the way this deck is constructed. You have Veil of Summer and Defense Grid. And both those cards provide protection even after Echo of Eons when your opponent yeah. gets to restock on seven cards. This is another reason why um, these cards are better than Thoughtseize. Not even just because Thoughtseize is bad versus opposing Veil of Summers, but exactly as you say, it protects you. It lets the Echo hopefully kill your opponent without drawing them into Force of Wills and stuff. That's good deck building, as they say. <laughs> Definitely. So congrats to, to Bryant. I'm sure he's going to talk about it on his podcast on, uh, what's it called? The Eternal, Eternal oh. Glory. Eternal Glory, that's yeah. the one. So definitely check that out. I bet that's going to come out, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, should, we, should we take a look at what Ares has been doing well? Oh, especially in the Super PTQ. Wow. The second place <laughs> list is very cool as well. Oh, no, I'm looking at the challenge. My bad, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry for, to the person who played second in the challenge. I think well, that's we'll, Achilles, we'll right? Playing, playing. It is indeed, yeah. So cool. we can talk about that in a moment. Yep. But in the, in the Legacy Super PTQ, we actually have Jeff Lynn, the... Overlord of, I want to say, Esperweil in yep. second place. He We actually discussed the line that he took against Bryant in the finals quite a lot uh, in a chat with him. That, that was quite interesting because there's so many ways you can interact with that kind of deck if you're playing a deck as diverse as Esperweil, which allows a lot of ways to interact with your opponent, but you need the time, right? You need to get your, your hate bears out. You need to meddling match the right thing. Yeah, his line was something convoluted, like he was trying to decide whether to force a will or to force a negation something. And it turned out that he forced of negation, which I think Bryant obviously found a way through it. But someone else pointed out if he had forced a wield, the one life would have mattered. And Bryant actually had like a natural tendrils or something to kill him. So from what I can tell, it was like he played what he could and Tez just Tezzed. 
Rider Flame, Rider Flamed. But otherwise, you, you've been playing the deck a lot more than me. So does anything stand out? Mm, not really. This is pretty much what we used to play for quite a while. Like the sideboard mm. is a little. Sideboard is almost. Sideboard is actually exactly the same what we played before. But one. But there's a new card coming out in Sandika Rising, right? That we talked oh, yeah. about, which will probably find its way into the deck as more than just a one-off. I believe so. So we're going to explore that later in the show tonight. So yeah, yeah this is this is pretty straightforward. Espabile, really good deck. Joy to play. If you enjoy creatures. But also having a way to fight against fast combo. Wow, this this is everything you want except that it doesn't play elves. So yeah, <laughs> the deck has completely proved itself by now to be like a a major player. And then we got three copies of Hogak in the rest of the top eight. So we got Which third place Hogak, fourth place Hogak, sixth place Hogak. Three and today I streamed and yeah. I also played against Hogak like three times or something. It's, it's deck is insane. It's really I mean, it's seeing resurgence, but it is good enough as well. We we kind of called it on the last episode. We said. Hogak is this deck, which I don't know. It's 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 in this middle ground where it's better than people think it is, and it's slightly underplayed because it's not it's not a pretty deck. It doesn't do f like it can do some pretty crazy powerful things, but it's, it's often pretty scrappy, not super flashy. Especially cyborg games, you're like getting advantage out of these random two ones while you're trying to fight hate and stuff. And the deck can be super punishing because it's really really I cannot stress enough. It's so important uh, sequencing things right. Like, very often you'll want to be sandbagging lands in your hand for Bloodgast stuff. And these little decisions really, really make all the difference, especially when you're playing against hate. So it's not easy to play. You do get free wins off it as well, which is a really nice thing to have in a legacy deck. And it's good against the blue decks. It's pretty favoured against Delver generally. It's good against Snow. And people are, like, going to worse cyborg hate. We talked about it on the last episode a few days ago, how Relic is decent versus it, but not what you want. So if... Layer in the Voids and Rest in Pieces are low. This deck is strong. I was so. just wondering whether it's also like a good budget choice if you want to get into Legacy, but on MTG Goldfish they have it at three and a half thousand on the, average. The mana so, bases are expensive. So Bug yeah. Bug has three to four underground seas and three bayous, and Jund has three Badlands, three bayous, and you do need those jewels. You can play Shocks, so if you are looking to play the deck and you have like maybe from Modern in the past, the deck is aggressive playing shocks will hurt versus delver and stuff as they always do but this is one of the decks that can mitigate the most but if you do do that do not play less than three of any of the uh, shocks or jewels because you mill yourself with uh, a lot of your cards such as supplier hedron crab and stuff so you you must have enough cards to fetch if you check out the online prices though it's actually a good entry deck into legacy it's only a brown 320 tickets so that's even cheaper than elves which at least online is also like a good entry deck compared mm -hmm. to fox to give you give you a perspective like snowco is around 800 tickets uh what else is there that's actually a deck esper wild is 700 sneak and show is 500 so if you if you want to get into legacy on magic online maybe you start out renting for example on card order or you even like buy straight into the deck and yeah, Hogak seems like it's the kind of deck that power like power to cost ratio should give you one of the best right now. Yeah. And it's also you say it's not pretty. I think it's pretty in the sense that it's a real blast to play. Because especially in the first game, your opponent doesn't really have too much that they can really do if they're playing one of those yeah. five color snow <laughs> Look at my land, I have Astrolabe. <laughs> <laughs> well what what is incredibly yeah. frustrating is Uro kills Bridge from Below. This is one of my most like I, I it really drives me crazy because Bridge from Below is how I've historically always played the deck against control. Like you 
you don't really care about the Vengemeyers or even the Hogak and stuff, but you just never attack into them until like turn eight when you've amassed loads of zombies. And you make them wrath you, terminus you, supreme verdict, you don't care. You just never attack into them, so your creatures never die, and you just keep building up zombies. And that was my favorite way to play the game because it was just this creeping sensation on your opponent that they couldn't do anything because this bridge from below was just <laughs> slowly just grinding them. It was like a Field of the Dead, actually. But now Uro kills it, which sucks. A little note about the uh, Hogak lists. Two of them were Bug, which has been a slightly more popular version because Hedron Crab is very powerful. But the third place list is Jund, which has there's like it has Faithless Looting over Careful Study. Faithless Looting is obviously a very big upgrade against Careful Study. And you play Putrid Imp in the place of the uh, Hedron Crabs. Um, the deck is... It's slight, it feels slightly more grindy. The crab is slightly more all-in and slightly more powerful. So, Otherwise, they're quite similar. There was one little... One of them had four underground seas. That's what stood out to me. Actually, it's not as exciting as I remembered. It... <laughs> <laughs> Make it even more expensive yeah, just yeah. because I can. <laughs> you usually pay three of each duel and that, that stuck out. Okay. Are you ever going to fetch the fourth underground sea? I think that might actually be worse, right? You, you want to maximize fetch lands. But yeah, I mean, who am I, who am I to say? I it's just, it's just so you don't mill too many of them. It, it's come up. More oh, than you'd expect, point. actually. You, you mill like two of them and then you get wastelanded and it feels terrible. I won against some Hogak deck in some event that I just can't recall right now because of that exact scenario. Where mm -hmm. I thought I was dead and then they cracked the fetch land and then they conceded and I was yeah. like so confused. And as somebody pointed out later on, they actually couldn't fetch the land that they needed to kill me. Yeah, I lost a, in, I've top eighted a challenge with Hogak once or twice and one of oh, them I remember in the semis, I uh, was playing against like some control deck and I had the game completely wrapped up. I knew their hand from a therapy. I fetch, and I have two crabs in play. And I fetch oh, first. Yeah. I don't, what you should do is you should fetch one. The land comes in, triggers on the stack, then fetch with another thing. And then, like, so you don't mill your lands. But I didn't do that because I was so confident and cocky. And I had three bios <laughs> left in the deck to decay something for the win. And then on the six cards I milled, I milled all three bios. This, this is an example of you have to play, like, tight. So I should have uh, fetched both first. So a good thing to keep in mind if you want to pick yeah. up the deck yourself. Maybe I'm actually going to stream with it. I actually wanted to make my next streams, uh, maybe TS even. Yeah, I, I want to taste the Epic Storm. The Epic Storm was actually the first deck I ever played on Magic Online 10 years ago. Oh, really? That's that's when we still played like Gemstone Mine and City of Brass and stuff like oh, that yeah. and Arms Chance. And Arms Chance was like a 100 uh, tick cards and stuff. Was it Priest of Gix or was that further back? Uh, I don't remember Priest of Chicks and that kind of deck. I think... If ever, that was more a thing in, in the Spanish Inquisition. Okay. I know that Tez did play it originally, but... Did it really? Oh, man, yeah. that, that goes further back than I can remember. You know, there I, I want to find out about that. There is an amazing history section on theepicstorm.com. You should go and check it out. Yeah, Brian documents every update, I believe, and it goes all the way back. It's fascinating. Oh, I'm going to check it out. We should actually yeah. have, like, history history battles. Like, we, we pick up mm -hmm. decks from from the beginning of the format and, and run something like, I don't know, full English breakfast against original tests and stuff. That'd be cool. I've, <laughs> I've had this huge desire to play and probably lose with Old Shardless against Old Miracles with Top and Deathrite Shaman. So I've uh, messaged Marcus, who is to like play that a bit with me i just want to lose to predict again but i loved playing old childless so much so that can be in our gauntlet i recently played against old childless in the stream and i was so confused because i was figuring there, there must be something i'm missing but no it's just straight up old childless back but without that's right shaman which ah uh, i don't know yeah. about that <laughs> no no death right shaman was too key yeah true so for the rest of the top eight, um, mm -hmm. we, we got, uh, I'm going to call it green, white, maverick depth. Uh, I think we at some point might have had a better name for that, but I don't remember it. That's why I put it down like that in the show notes. 
yeah, this this is it looks like green white depths. This is a uh, Dominic Harvey, who's a SCG commentator, very very strong player as well. If you're familiar with him, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> no, okay. Now he's a uh, he's from England as well, but he moved to America a couple of years ago and teared up the SCG circuit and is now a commentator for them. Pretty cool. But yeah, he's always trying to innovate. He's always brewing. So this is really cool to see him do well with this. He went through the replay with of it with Jarvis on stream as well. So check that out if you're interested in the deck. Oh, looks, awesome, awesome. Looks strong to me. Yeah, and then we did just gloss over quickly. There was a uh, lovely back-to-basics Astrolabe deck. I don't want you to forget about these things. Oh, uh, yeah. But this is, sadly, this is sadly only four colors, which upsets me because I wanted to ask you how you feel about five colors. But did, we'll get to it. Did they slightly switch up the basics? Did they play like two islands and three play on two planes or something? <laughs> There's two forests, oh, three islands, one plane, yeah, one yeah, swamp. That kind of stuff gets me off. That gets me so excited, man. <laughs> how how yeah. many Tundras did they play? One tundra, of course. One oh, on the ground yeah, sea, one tundra. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, it's just God, it's this just... Is so bullshit. <laughs> sorry, the I guess the, the Mus Mus sorry Musa Mus. Sabi. I, I their name actually sticks out to me. So Musa they Sabi. must have yeah. like played quite quite well over mm-hmm. the years. So they certainly played well, and they probably made a good decision in picking the deck. It's just I hate the deck. Yeah. It's actually it's not even hate. Like how how do you describe something where you don't actively hate it, you just think it's bullshit? Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm not sure the word. I, they should have added the fifth color. That's what you're thinking, right? Pretty much. And like you need those. Like they have back to basics, but you could have Blood Moon and From the Ashes as well. Which Yeah, I, and at some I point think... we will splash uh, Waste Mana, so we can have Thought Not Seas in the sideboard. Yeah. If, if you haven't. Yeah, that's it's probably going to give you the upside in the mirror. I'm actually going to sneak in a sneaky surprise uh, listener question here. Earlier today, Marcus asked me to ask you, What's your opinion on playing snow mirrors where both players play Blood Moon against each other? First thing is, why didn't Marcus ask me directly? I feel like back in primary school, can you ask this guy that question? It's like, (laughs) oh, does he like Michaela? No, oh, he likes Sandra. It's like, oh. Oh. (laughs) So you were saying... Snow. Moving onwards, so that's a four-color snow deck, no red uh, in fifth place. And then lastly, rounding out the top eight is Theo Young, who's a MTGO N-boss playing Rug Delver. It looks pretty standard to me. I think it is. It's pretty close to what Daniel Gulducat's playing, but they it, it's pretty um, standard now. Daniel plays two engineered explosives. Uh, he's playing one engineered explosives, one rough tumble, which yeah. got me really good. Ah, you moment. played against him. Yeah, I think right, I, right. I went five and two, and I lost against them in the third round. Mm-hmm. We could. Do you want to do the top sixteen, or we could jump to? Uh, uh, yeah, we, we got so much more to talk about. Place. So, if there's anything in top sixteen that sticks out to you, for example, like thirteenth place, this Julian guy playing elves. Oh my god, so good! Check this out. Super standard elves list. Two chokes in the sideboard. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No. For good. For good. To like not, not get totally demolished because I actually haven't played in any of the big tournaments in Magic Online lately. I've been doing tons of leagues, mm-hmm. but then I've been spending my, my weekends doing a lot of other stuff. But recently I, I caught the bug with Alessaro Shepard back in the format. Oh, back in the format, like in the format. In the format, yeah. And that card, holy shit, does that card produce some bullshit games. Yeah. Like, games. It, 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 it's, it's a bullshit card, come on. It's the total bullshit card. It's, yeah. it's basically... The one green version of Astrolabe, in, in, in a way. <laughs> I've, I've played against some Delver decks today, and they tapped out on the second turn. And if the, if it's the first game, they're not going to have submerge. So you literally mm-hmm. know the moment they tap out that you won the game. And you're up against something like six cards in hand. They kept a seven. They had a really good opening. They kept with their ponder. Turn two, they tap out, let's say, for, S- for Dreadhought Arcanist. And you literally know, even though you only played two elves on your first two turns, you literally know the game is deterministically over and this is not the kind of magic i want to play so i like that it gives the deck i enjoy the most 
a huge boost, but it's also like real, real, yeah. real stupid in the in the very sense of the word. I'm not a fan of the card. It's it's again one of these pushed cards, which is cool. I like pushed cards, and I really like that this helps tribal. I'm a big fan of that. I love that elves is getting better with this card. I love that goblins have gotten a huge boost recently with Muxus, although it's kind of pushed as well. But um, it's just they could have done something slightly different. Maybe let it be countered, and then then you can have everything else. Or like the uh, the ability. Or to just make have your creatures encounter better, right? Yeah, creatures, exactly. It's It feels another one. It's like, why isn't Arcanist a 1-1? One, one? Why wasn't Deathrite Shaman a 0-1? It feels like another one of those. At least it's a 1-1 one, one and dice to a Plague Engineer, though. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's actually sometimes annoying. And then I remember yeah, how, yeah. how stupid the card is. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Stupid Fine. against stupid. Uh, what, what can you do? No, <laughs> cool. it, 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 that is part of my general thing. I, I, I remember in, in one chat, uh, we had a discussion with Anorak about like, what do I really want when I always talk about, hey, I like pre-2012 so much. People are like, yeah, but why? And the thing that I always arrive to is I want the, the advantages to be more granular more nu- nuanced so yeah. you get an advantage but it's not a plus five it's more like a plus 1.5 and thus accumulates and as long as you're like in a in a window of like plus seven i'm just like making up numbers but you, you the relation of them to each other is what i mean as long as like your opponent's maximum at an advantage of plus seven that's still recuperable but it's we now have cards that instantly give you a plus five and then you need just a little more to push it over the edge and i guess that's also why the pitch counters are so good because you you can really protect the queen for like a couple of turns and then it's really over and yeah yeah you're not gonna way. change that but it's good <laughs> to cast attention to that if only to for people to be more aware in deck building that they need to be able to fight over some really pushed stuff yeah i absolutely agree all right so should we move on to the challenge yeah oh <laughs> look who's in first place again mr brian cook again so Brian's list looks exactly the same. I can't imagine he changed anything. Uh, I'm not going to look for that. So yeah, crush it again. In second place, now we can go to Achilles' list. I said it before. Um, it's Maverick, but um, it's quite different. So there's two Kaya Orzo of Usurper, which is pretty cool. It stands out to me. This card, in, in case anyone doesn't know, is one white and a black for a Planeswalker. It comes in with three loyalty. You can plus one to exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. You gain two life if at least one creature was exiled this way. So this is a nice ability to have. You can exile like targets for Jojo Darkness. You can exile Uros. There are other graveyard decks in the format. Next ability is minus one exile target non-land permanent with a converted mana cost one or less. So this is just good in Legacy. You have Aether Bars, Delvers, uh, Allosaurus Riders, Astrolabes. Yeah, good good ability. And then the minus five is. Uh, it deals damage to target player equal to the number of cards that player owns in exile and you gain that much life so that could kill if someone's been like uroing quite a lot <laughs> it's not that unreasonable so it seems like a good card to me i've watched um achilles streams quite a lot so we'll link the stream in the show notes uh, if you want to get good at maverick with them but um kaya's looked pretty good from what i've seen so that's that's a cool inclusion otherwise we have pretty standard you four knights you have you have lots of greens and zenith targets. You have four Thalias, no Stoneforge Mystic. There's uh, two main deck Plague Engineers. It's like slightly uh, not common, I think. Well, it is now, I guess. Um, it is now, I, yeah. I watched his stream during the top eight and in the quarter, in the semifinals, mm-hmm. he played against Testacula on Elves. And oh, yeah. historically, Maverick used to be one of our very, very best matchups in Elves. Yeah. Like, really good. At this point... Looking at this list and also the sideboard, where there's well, chalices are not so much of a big deal, I guess, but also them having chalice now makes us keep Alusaurus Rider, which is like awkward, which you don't really want. So, what I want to say mm-hmm. is 
this might almost be favorable for for this kind of maverick now at this point which is kind of sad but this deck is really really strong depends which side you're on (laughs) (laughs) i mean the thing is like that the maverick is my second big passion my first big love and legacy Uh, so i don't mind it too much it's it's powerful I wonder if if he's gonna make a couple of adjustments to account for more TS stuff. Um, I guess you you got the two chalices for zero, which actually hurt TS quite a bit if if you can get them on yeah. on the play. Thalia is still very good against Storm as well. Yeah, uh, there's, true. There's four true. Um, I know that Achilles also top eighted the NRG event, which you commentated, right? Uh, so. they didn't invite me this time. Oh, I'm <laughs> but, sorry. But I, I bet the guys <laughs> there, like everybody, did an awesome job on that. Okay. I, I wanted to watch, but oh, yeah. ended up getting a little too late. So, Fair but enough. usually they they are putting on a great show. So I'm really happy cool. that we have third party organizers stepping yeah, up the game and and bringing so, these kind of shows. Yeah, Achilles was like duo streaming, top eighting both events. That's cool. Good outing for Maverick. Uh, third place, we have your favorite deck again. We have five color snow, uh, two sideboard back to basics. I just like to point out. Oh original two forest two island one plains one swamp this time not three islands are you interested in that yeah <laughs> no. otherwise this is a pretty pretty standard i guess this is actually oh, oh no no now i actually end up being interested in it so i guess you cut the island so you can add the fifth this is how you do it in this kind of deck you cut a basic <laughs> island you add a volcanic island and suddenly a whole world of opportunity exactly. opens up to you now, now you're getting it so you get uh, the two pyroblasts on the sideboard and you got you got the back to basics and so yeah Great. <laughs> this is just <laughs> I, I love pushing these buttons. Oh, it's so fun. This is so bullshit. <laughs> and it even has two plague engineer in the side but Like, what the fuck? And two containment priest. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, so okay, I, I get it all. Oh, and Leo Walt in the main. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this is such bullshit. This I is mean, crazy. the deck could play some blood moons, in my opinion, but it's it's okay for now. Yeah, maybe they couldn't afford them, but, yeah. but they can now. Well, with all the basics, you have you just get your forest, your island, your plains, and your swamp, and then you play a blood moon, and then it fixes the rest of your red mana. What What about your basic mountain to play around the blood moon? Yeah, it's too big brain for me. <laughs> Can't do it. All right, in fourth place, we have another copy of elves. Looks like so. Fuller Sorrow Shepherd again looks to be f- pretty standard to me. Yeah, sidepot is, is a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. I recently removed the white splash because I felt like. The, the kind of combo decks I'm going up against, Arkan isn't helping me out too much. Okay. And Harkasting, so the second Behemoth, actually becomes a thing. But if you do have the White Splash, I think the biggest thing is you get access to the two deafening, uh, the three deafening silences in the sideboard, yeah. which are really, really good because they, they cover more than just straight up storm combo. They, they are also like, if you lead on deafening silence against something like Dredge, for example, that's surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. Or if you have it against Infect, that's also really good. Like, they can never commit to uh, to a pump spell. That's true. And because then you abrupt decay, unless I guess it's it's um, Nexus. But yeah, it's a fringe thing, but it's nice when you have a really strong hate card that also covers as additional splash hate against other decks. It's also very good against Urza Echoes. I've been on the oh, other I side bet. a few times, and it, it's surprisingly insane. Cool. Uh, fifth place, we have ninjas. It's bug ninjas with Oko. We've seen this a few times. Um, yeah, it's cool. The deck's still doing well. It had like a, a weekend where it top-hated both challenges, one winning, I believe, and stuff, and there was a lot of hype. Um, it's slightly died down, but the deck is strong. I like it. It's like, yeah, slightly fallen off the hype, but yep, nice to see it top eight again. Yeah, the deck is stronger than the individual cards make it look. Like this kind of deck, mm-hmm. usually you see come up in Legacy. Everybody gets excited for two weeks, and then n- nobody ever plays it again. But this, I don't know. It's, it seems yeah. to be here to stay. It's it's. Set, 
using a deck with four only top die can't happen. Looks so bullshit and, and four changing outcast. But it's it's good. It's yeah. it's really not not but it's it's solid tier two. I wanna say. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. It can it can snowball. It's a deck with uh, like just blue and black are such strong colors in the format as well. You just ha- have access to f- all the forces. Plague Engineer as well is so good these days. So yeah, nice to see. In sixth place, we have Sylvia Wataru on Rugdelva as always, which this player is just absolutely yeah. too good. <laughs> they, uh, they are a Japanese player that started streaming as well recently, so check that out. Oh, they're streaming as well? Awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. following them on, on Twitter. Yeah. We, should, we should link the stream because I actually even want to see that. They are like just top, top level rug master. So, um, yep, we'll add that. They have some pretty cool cyber tech. I think you like this card. What do you think of Mind Hardness? Yeah, dude, I love that they have Red Elemental Blast on the sideboard. It's so cool. It counters all... Co- no, seriously. They have <laughs> Mind Hardness. I don't even need to look because I've been following them for a while and they mm-hmm. started putting Mind Hardness back into Legacy where it belongs. For those who don't know, Mind Hardness used to be a Legacy staple in the sideboard. It's an a creature enchantment. So how many playable creature enchantments do we actually have in Legacy? Uh... <laughs> I- <laughs> Very few. Like, seriously. <laughs> I can't think of I guess any. we call them Auras now. Aura. Yeah. <laughs> Mind Harness, one blue, play only on a red or green creature. Gain control of enchanted creature. Like, what the fuck? It's yours. Okay, it has cumulative upkeep one colorless. So you first pay one, then you pay two, then you pay three. And then you already killed your opponent because Uro attacked twice. So this is really, really awesome if you put this on an Uro or even a Dreadhought Arcanist. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to pay a little bit of mana for that, but you really got to see it from both ways. Not only do you get an awesome creature, your opponent is also denied an awesome creature that they tapped out for, that you stole for one blue mana. It's such a big tempo swing, and it will provide you with a ton of card advantage against these kind of decks. I it, love this card. It's I also used to put this on Rock Swarmonk. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's just so much better. It's also insane in the mirrors because the mirrors really end up revolving around uh, like Tarmogoyf or Hooting Mandrills and Dreadful Darkness, especially the green creatures because your rug you don't have like Fatal Push or Source of Plashes. Uh, these deck these mirrors really like struggle to remove the green creatures uh, apart from Oko. So this is another way to do it. This is why they're playing like so many submerges f- because of these uh, other threats. But this is just like stepping it up even further. This is foot on the pedal yeah that card just makes me happy yep otherwise looks pretty standard yep three submergers for those stupid decks playing uh forests nice (laughs) uh seventh place i think we mentioned this before submerge is is a big thing now that alasar shepherd is here so you really need to be able to remove it um even when you're tapped out and submerge Mm -hmm. is giving you that kind of threat yeah because it is quite a blowout to be able to submerge the, the rider and then force what you think it depends, is natural um when you just bounce it to your wildwood symbiote and then they force your spell say a glimpse then you That's trade okay. it three for one which is kind of a big deal but yeah, if it's on a natural order it's a little bit more annoying cool seventh place we have some more five color snow with uh, back to basics moving swiftly onwards unless you have anything to say anymore let it all out all right, in eighth place, we have Urza Echoes, which is another deck we've talked about a few times. Really cool deck, super powerful, can like can win on the t- first turn sometimes. It's pretty good against combo because you have four forces in the sideboard to bring in, and you're playing cards like Narset and Khan, the Great Creator, and Chalice of the Void. So um, this just keeps on performing as well, I think. It's it's yeah. another one of these It's fully established itself in the meta game. Yeah, solid tier two, like we said. I can only imagine how expensive the deck is, though. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess I gotta pull it up here. It's oh, it's only six hundred fifty-one tickets. Let's look at actual proper dollars. Yeah. Oh, it's only three thousand. Okay. I mean, so, elves is more expensive. Right, okay, elves is one of the most expensive decks in the format. Cradles right now, are crazy. Is, yeah. It's just elves on here on Goldfish is three point five k, which makes it by far okay. Simic lands, whatever that is, um, is up there. Mm, that's but just yeah. normal lands, I think. Yeah. I guess there's a tabernacle or two. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So pretty cool top eight. We had a couple of snows, a delver and stuff. But yeah, cool to see uh, Tez, as we said a few times, and Maverick take it out. Uh, in the top 16, we had two dredges, which caught my eye, which is pretty cool. And I think dredge, that's a similar principle to, to TS and to a certain degree also Hogak. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't really respect those super at, at least i don't respect those super fast decks anymore and i feel like a lot of the format hasn't been respecting them for quite a while there's i guess there's black red reanimator that's still somewhat around but other than that there's there's i've not even seen reanimator for so long it, yeah it, it just it feels like it doesn't even exist i'm not sure maybe we're actually on the verge on the watershed where, where legacy is about to change again and could be yeah could be i've seen some people playing grixis Deva again just saying. I, yeah, I don't know why you would, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, the black cards—they don't seem like they add enough. Okay, so here's my thing. Hear me out. Maybe we just play straight up old Canadian threshold, like without those three mana things. And in order to combat Oko and Uro, we actually have just—I don't know—mind harnesses for Uro, even though that already gives them the extra land drop. Okay, so we need to fight Uro on the stack. Yeah, but you—the you, the problem with that deck is you cannot play Nimble Mongoose. It's just too bad. I'm sorry, Nimble Mongus fans. I love the card as much as everyone else, but a 3-3, like, there's Ice Fang Quartals as well as Baleful Strixes now. It needs First Strike. Yeah, First Strike would make it okay. But, like... <laughs> you're, first you're, Strike Trample. Like, Snapcaster Mage is not in the format anymore. That was why it was okay, because the random bodies were Snapcaster Mages. Now the random bodies are Elks, which are 3-3s in trading, or the Ice Fang Quartals, which are trading. Oh, that's such a good point. Like, it's, it's not I, getting through. And I... Can can I exchange you like for for a co-host that's not so smart, so I can like <laughs> keep living my dream or something? I want Nimble Mongoose to be good as well, but it's just yeah. You say that now, but you also like five color bullshit. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I don't mind it. The, the, <laughs> oh, other, okay. the other thing is, Stifle is also like kind of bad against Uro. Like they pull ahead on lands. Like people are just playing more lands because it's better to have your mana and cast more powerful spells. Um, we're seeing creature decks as well. Like, okay, okay. That, that's going to be a spoiler in, in Sunica Rising that that's going to punish people for playing a lot of lands. So we, we will talk mm-hmm. about that later. Is, is it anything a else? Blood Moon and Batch Basics. <laughs> <laughs> Leyline of the Blood Moon. I keep oh, calling God. for it. One day they will rope me into, into Wizards of the Coast. Can I exchange a, a host that doesn't have horrible ideas? <laughs> <laughs> no, otherwise, uh, nothing stood out to me in the top 16, I think. Yeah, Sorry if there's something cool which I missed. Oh wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. in twenty fifth place, this is like a rare species, man. This is this is actual death and taxes played by Kuro Ooh. here in twenty fifth place. Oh, I didn't scroll down that far. My apologies. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there could be, you know, that's the slogan of death and taxes. Death and taxes. <laughs> I didn't scroll down that far. I'm sorry. I mean, this is this is where the deck is at I, right now. We, we mentioned death and taxes on the cast before, like recently, and. I think the deck is not as bad as people make out. Yeah, it, it, there's a certain flaw to the deck that's that's good enough to be playable as a legacy deck. And like we mentioned before, there's also a thing where you hear that your deck is bad, so you're going to play something else. Whereas the limiting factor to maybe you or, or not, like I think to a lot of people, the limiting factor is not even like how good that deck is, 
but how well they're playing with their deck. Kind of like how in a fighting game, you hear that your character is like mid-tier and you feel like, oh no, I gotta play the top-tier character. But maybe if you just kept playing your mid-tier character, that will already give you like enough to break into higher things than, than you know what I mean? That yeah, yeah. the thing that controls how deep you go is not how good your deck is, but how well you play it. And then once you get to the maximum of that, maybe then you think about new character or a yeah. new deck. And when your perception or the way you think that everyone perceives your deck or character in this case to be worse and like unplayable as like people like to say and then when you're thinking you're going into a league or going into some matches thinking oh this deck is terrible i'm not going to win like that mindset is going to make you make mistakes as well it's it's a downward spiral very often in that kind of case and as people start thinking your deck is worse and worse the better players sometimes drop off it and it's not being worked on as much as well like there's a lot of small factors coming into it which i think True. doesn't help the deck but similar to espervile there is a new card which we'll get to shortly when we get to the uh, spoilers, which is incredibly strong in the deck. So maybe that'll help rejuvenate it. Awesome. So before we jump to the spoilers, I actually want to cast some more attention to one of the five O lists that were actually posted on the weekends, uh, or I guess some days, a couple of days ago, and that is by Twin underscore MTG, who went five and all with a deck that I can only really describe as blue green Delva. Um, yeah, this is. It's quite interesting. Very cool. So some of the standout stuff, so the creature suite is kind of weird. So there's four Delvers, as you said, it was a Delver deck. There's two Brazen Borrower. There's two Hex Drinker, which I like this card. I think it's kind of, it was often laughed about. It was played in the uh, like Renaissance era Delver decks. And it's pretty strong. Like you, people need to answer. It's very good against control. So um, I'm not surprised to see that too well. four mana into it for it to become uh, uh, basically hexproof against instance, right? I believe it's three. Three. Oh. So could that be the next the next Nimble Mongoose? Could be. This is much better than Nimble Mongoose. Being a 4-4 four, four is v very relevant. Then it has protection from instance. Oh, you're right. You need to put three mana. Yeah. So from and then it's mana. eight becomes a 6-6 six, six protection from everything. I think this card's good. But what's really cool, so there's two Uros as well, because Uro is insane. There's two Joriel Monvoli Recluse. So this is a one and a green for a 1-2. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a 2-2 two, two green cat creature token. And you can pay four green greens, so six mana total. Until end of turn, creatures you control have base, power, and toughness, XX, where X is the number of cards in your hand. So this is a cool card. It's kind of like young Pyromancer-ish, but you want to be uh, just drawing extra cards. So there's some nice synergies here. It's really good with the Sylvan Library, because Sylvan Library draws you extra cards each turn. Uh, it's cool with Brainstorm, because you can cast Brainstorm on your opponent's turn. And uh, you'll be drawing an additional card for two to make it cat. It's good with Uro whenever it like comes in or attacks. So, interesting card, though. I don't think the power level is there. I tried it in Phoenix a bit. and it, Oh, you did? Okay. It, with, uh, with Jarvis on the stream, and it really, really underperformed for us. So, <laughs> but maybe maybe, maybe yeah. the shell was bad for it. The thing is, there's, for as much as I like the card, there's only really eight cards that enable it. That's for Ponda, for Brains. Okay, Uro. I'm going to give you Uro. Yeah. But if you're already attacking with an Uro, then your two drop is not going to make that big of a difference, I guess. Yeah. And Civil Library makes it so that you basically get a Cat X every turn. Even yeah. Though that's. The yeah. thing is, even when you, even if you could like always enable it, the it, for two mana you're getting a three four, then a five six. Oh, true. <laughs> I mean, it's just not that good. <laughs> even even by the like today's standards, even f when you're like living the dream as a two mana, like five, six split across three bodies. It's just not up to scratch really. So 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced the card is very good, to be honest. It has two counterbalances in the sidebar. I'm loving it. Oh my <laughs> god, it, it does indeed. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, yeah maybe pro- somebody out there, out there is going to play the deck and be excited by it. I don't know. Blue-green mm-hmm. has, has always been a color combination. Blue-green as a color combination embodies everything I am as a player. I want tempo. I want acceleration. I want influence over the board state, which is something blue gives you through bounce and stuff. I want card advantage, which you get from blue and green as, as well. I want to be aggressive, which, okay, in this deck, the, the, green, the blue part is the aggressive part, I guess, <laughs> yeah. which is so weird in Legacy. But, but the green part is also aggressive. Uh, this is... Color combination was everything I ever wanted. But yeah, this deck, it's not doing it for me, but it's quite unique. By the way, if you're yeah. up against it, it also has Force Stifle, which can not only enable Uro, they can also stifle your Fetchland, even though it's a rare thing, I guess, these days. I think I'd like to see a couple of Dismember in here. There's no removal outside of Oko, really. Yeah, there's Oko. Is there anything like Pongify, maybe? That's the, <laughs> the yeah. thing that creates a 3 3 ape creature token. I think Dismember is still pretty <laughs> yeah, much the best thing better. to be doing in blue and green. I quite like and this. And mind harnesses in the sideboard, I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, there is Jutes <laughs> in the sideboard. Oh, that's old school. Remember when Chitta was like one of the cards in Legacy and now yeah. it's like a thing that people mention, hey, there's a Chitta in the sideboard. You're like, oh, you don't oh, say. There's also Pyroblast. Like Pyroblast replaced that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In speaking of who plays that, uh, we will soon be playing Sendika Rising in Legacy. That's a new edition that's going to come out. Do you have any idea when that's going to be released? It comes onto Magic Online on the 17th, so in three days. Oh, okay. That's actually yeah. really soon. Very soon, yeah. Uh, I think the most interesting concept about Sendika Rising is that it introduces... Do, do we have a name for for those lands yet? Uh, the, the one I, I liked the most was like Cassette Lands, because you have to turn them around, like like if you I've listen heard, to a recording. I've heard Bolt Lands. They bolt bolt Lands? Well, for the, for the mythic ones. Oh, because they don't shock you, they bolt you? Yeah. One day we're going to have Fire Blast lands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they come into play and do really insane things. So so for the Mythic ones, I like I like Bolt lands, like Shock lands. But for the other ones, I haven't seen a good name yet. What do you um, think of these so, cards? Uh, the concept is incredibly interesting and offers a lot of potential. So for those who are wondering what is that actually, so they're double-faced cards. One side is going to be like a straight-up land. It either comes into play tapped or it there are also other ones who come into play untapped if you pay three life so straight up like a shock land but yeah um, boat lands but the thing is they also have a backside and the backside is usually a sorcery i think it's always a sorcery isn't it instant i don't know there's some instance as well okay and you can cast the backside so technically what these lands are doing is they're gonna increase your land your spells to land ratio in a deck which on average gives you better draws. Not only do they... Like, it depends on what you replace, right? If you if you replace spells, then it's going to give you better mana. And if you replace lands, then it's just going to give you more business while still maintaining the, the same mana ratio that you're used to. And that's a super interesting concept. The price to pay is pretty steep. Like, I think with regards to Legacy, we can basically discount all that comes into play lands. I, I haven't seen anyone, any of those, that had a backside effect that was insane. There's one which we'll get to and talk about properly which is basically a fling, which I think has a small chance of being a cyber card in lands for like okay, okay. for like Swords of Plowshares matchups, so you can fling a Marital Age. But other than that, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Something interesting that could also come up if you ever play with those, those are actually lands that can get Thoughtseized or Durist if they're yeah. in Sin Sorcery or something. This is a really, really relevant part. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> If you've ever played with Land Grant and like 
well, getting it forced is different because you can't do that to these ones. But if you're on the draw and they just thought sees you and like take your one land as land grant if you're doing a land grant deck, or it feels really bad. So in this case, yeah, you've got to be careful. I think you people are talking about Belcher and stuff um, with these things. They're they're not reliable lands. Coming to play tapped is a huge huge deal. It might be okay in standard and potentially like pioneer historic can play some. But um, this is middle ground between all of them. I think I agree with you that the the Commons Play Tap ones just going to have a really hard time in Legacy. They could enable some kind of weird Belcher oops deck, but um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm uh, I mean I'm ahhing on the side of no for these ones. Like the main thing to think about with both of these, both of the ones that come into play untapped and tapped, is you shouldn't be concentrating on power level. What the card does is not so important, but the opportunity cost is the most important thing with these cards. So what is the opportunity cost of putting a land that deals you three damage when it comes to play? But on the flip side, you get to play this spell sometimes. So I think a lot of decks are going to find that the opportunity cost of taking three damage is actually higher than how often they cast the spell. And they might try it out and then realize in the end, oh, this doesn't really work. The main things we're going to see, so what we mentioned before Belcher quickly, is so the black one and the red one what they enable is they are not lands on the front side so oops or spells which is a deck revolving around balustrade spy and under city informer and goblin child belcher which doesn't want you to have any lands in your deck you can play these so this is where the opportunity cost isn't actually what the front sides of the cards do but they are not lands that but they are lands that you can play so this is a different kind of opportunity cost we're talking about here um and yeah, allowing for high density of spells, I think people are just going to find out that they, they don't want that. You've got to look very, very, very critically at what the spell side of the land does and think how often you're casting that versus just casting this as a spell. Like, uh, we could we could start off our spoilers if you have um, yeah, no, sure. nothing to say. So let's take the green one, for example, because we were just talking about elves recently as well. So what would you think about putting this in elves? Yeah, everybody been everybody's been asking me yeah. about this. Let's keep this so off. technically, you could do it, right? Because mm-hmm. you would replace a land, and th- that's how I think about it. So you can have a better ratio of spells to lands. That, that's the thing um, I already mentioned. Or you replace uh, a spell, so your mana is going to be better. And that's actually something you have to consciously make, because if you replace a spell, then your overall spell quality is going to come down, uh, but your mana is going to be better. Whereas if you replace a land then your spell quality on average, I guess, is kind of the same. It's maybe even slightly going up because you have a better ratio or something. That's You get the idea, right? Mm-hmm. The thing about elves is, the, first of all, the three life is a really big deal. Elves, especially post-bot, ends up grinding against a lot of decks. I finished so many so many matches on like one, two, three, four, whatever life, and if I had less life, then my opponent would have probably bolted me out instead of killing my creature. So the three life is incredibly relevant. I could still see running this if the front side was better. The front side, for those wondering, is seven mana, four colorless, and three green. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a creature from among them onto the battlefield. If that card doesn't convert to mana cost three or less, so basically everything except for Progenitus and Krata of Behemoth, it enters with three additional plus one cost plus one counters on it, and the rest goes on the bottom of your library in a random order. Getting a seven mana, four, four Viavert Symbiote really isn't it. Like, I could see it if it was, like, three mana. Then I would be all about this card, I think. But even then, I, would, I wouldn't I would be sure what to cut. Maybe even cut lands or something. But 
this the effect for like people think uh, we had a discussion about this on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it um, with with Daniel and um, Peter van der Ham. People think elves has mana, so elves is the big like people think about elves as nickfit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can tell you, I honestly can tell you, the number one reason I lose game with games with elves is because I can't get to my second or third mana, and putting. A seven mana thing in it. And I know it would be basically free if you replace the land with it, because then the opportunity costs more like, oh, you're you're gonna lose three life at times, but it's also gonna give you an extra card at times. But seven mana for this kind of effect, that that's basically the trade-off, right? That I'm looking at. If the effect mm-hmm. was better, yes, but the effect yeah. is really, really bad considering the investment of seven mana. Seven mana, like if for five mana you can get Nissa. And yeah, Nissa is not something that can double as a land, like this one can do. But Nissa is so N- Nissa Vital Force that is. Yeah. That is so infinitely better. And that's already in the high end. Like sometimes I feel like, oh, can I really justify running Nissa? Five mana is just such a big deal. The only deck where I can really see it is something like you mentioned already, like Belchard basically can give you four additional F Spirit Guides or yeah. um I-, I could see Nick Fit playing one of these. <laughs> Nick yeah, Fit of always course. has the toys. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what are you gonna get a four for veteran explorer or um maybe hydrable could play it i don't even know what that is oh my god you don't know what hydrable is it's it's like cheerios but it uses crop rotation to get guys cradle and cast creative behemoths wait that's f's well it's just better elves you have a sideboard beastmaster ascensions are you fucking kidding me i have no idea what this is hydrable hydrable Hydra- yeah. Oh, Hydra, Hydra Ball. Ball. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, get it. I, I thought like water, Hydro Bull. No, no, no. Hydro Bull. No, no, no. <laughs> I still don't know what it is. Okay. It's, it's basically broken. Uh, we shouldn't talk about it too much because people might pick it up and get Kobolds of Care Keep banned. So so you, you see we're actually reaching if you're trying to find a place for this deck, yeah, yeah. for this card. It's, I, I find these, these, uh, these Bolt Lands quite hard to judge because the, the payoff is kind of there, like... Uh, being a spell and a land that comes behind untapped is really really powerful but the spell sides are just not good for legacy and like they're not even close to being close to being good enough so we can just walk through the red and the black one because i think they kind of all come under a very similar umbrella of what we're trying to do with them so the red one is called shatter skull smashing awesome name and then the other side is shatter skull the hammer pass uh, for two red and X, it deals X damage divided as you choose among up to two target creatures and our planeswalkers. If X is six or more, Shadow Skull Smashing deals twice X di- damage divided as you choose among them instead. So this one being the red one, I think we'll see Belcher play this actually. Uh, we could see some other combo decks, again like uh, Oops All Spells kind of-esque things uh, because it's a land. But the, the other side, like... I guess this kills hate bears, which is cool. So for four mana, you can kill a meddling mage, or three, you can kill a Thalia, or four actually for Thalia. Um, but that's terrible. Like four mana for two damage is really bad, and you're you're not doing much else with it. Uh, the black one is Agadim's Awakening. The other side is Agadim the Un- Undercrypt for the land. It is three black and X. Returned from your graveyard to the battlefield, any number of target creature cards that each have a different mana cost X or less. So you can't do like three mana to return three x spells you can pay three mana an x to return ornithopter's play or you can pay three black and one for a one drop but um yeah it's going to be like six mana to return a three drop seven mana to return a four drop so i could see oops casting it sometimes but other than that like it's yeah. just 
it's just a weak card. This one has like Buck Nickford written all over it. Yeah, kind of. Like you can return your Eternal Witness to return it. Yep, Bayful Strix, <laughs> and oh, you got the engine going. Yeah. Like everything, Nickford is desperately reaching for the time zone, yet yep. survival. And when when we didn't call it Nickford at the time, but the deck was kind of like Nickford. And now that survival is gone, like nine years, it's soon going to be the nine year anniversary. Yeah. Or is it actually a 10 year anniversary? Oh, it's, the, it's soon to be the 10 year anniversary. Oh my God. Nice. Ever since the, that deck has been trying to, to emulate survival in a way and it's, yeah. it never really got close to it. Yeah, so this is where I stand on them. I I don't think they're as good as people think and we're just going to see them because of the utility of not being a land. People think they're good. I think so. <laughs> I think to so. encounter anyone. From, from the discourse I've seen, people think, wow, spell plus land, that's insane without yeah. actually critically thinking like how, is- how it's good. If it only was one life, I yeah. could maybe see it. Like, I think it would be insane at one life. Yeah, but three yeah. life is a lot. You're probably right. I think you're probably that, right. I think you'd play them in like so many. Like one life is a fetch land. I mean, these are not as good as That's fetch true. lands by far, but you'd definitely play them at one. But three is just a lot. Like it adds up. So yeah, yeah. they they are this kind of um, bordering on the power level because of just inherently what a split card of land that comes to play untapped and spell does that one of them could fit into a shell that's really good Mm. um but i think that's the only good thing going for them honestly it's interesting that wizards made the front side the spell and the back side the land because if you look at them like a like a story the back side is actually what's happening first like if you look at shutter skull pass for example it's the shutter skull pass oh yeah and then the the then it comes uh, the spell then it co- collapses. Yeah, yeah, then, then the thing is coming down. Um, and that actually has huge implications for legacy in the sense that because the front side is the spell, it's not a creature, it's not a land, right? So we can actually put it into Belcha and Oops our spells. Yeah. I wonder what, what made Wizards make that decision. Obviously, it was not legacy. But even if you look at the chronological thing, there, there must be a reason they did it this way. I would guess discard spells. Like, we always mention Thoughtseize, but... Oh, that's good. Discard spells are pretty universal for every format. There's, like, Thought Erasure and stuff, so... Yeah. yeah, but they usually they try to like prevent feel bads, and getting a land discard is probably like a major feel bad. <laughs> exactly. So that's I think that's probably the main reason. But then they would have needed to do it the other way around. But okay, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it can be, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, there's a couple of more cards. Like, um, why don't you just like pick one you like, and and we'll discuss that. Pick one I like. Okay, let's jump straight into I think might be the best card in the set is Skyclave oh, Apparition. <laughs> so this is the one we alluded to um, earlier by saying about es- Espervile and Death and Taxes. So Skyclave Apparition is a 2-2 for one two white, so three mana total. When Skyclave Apparition enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. When Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an exec blue illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. So the two didn't read is when so-and-so enters the battlefield, exile target Oko. And when it dies, they don't get the fucking Oko back. Excuse my mm-hmm. French. So this is what uh, Death and Taxes players especially have been wanting. I think Oko is a big reason the deck has gotten worse. And they have a... Because they are a combat-focused... Um, a red zone-focused deck. deck. So they're trying to attack Planeswalkers down by going wide or like Mother of Runesing and stuff. And Oko just goes on such high loyalty, as we all know. Uh, this gets Recruiter of the Guarded, which is really key. Um, it's just a great card. 
Yeah, and you, you don't really care too much about them getting an extra creature if this actually ends up dying. Yeah. Um, because those decks, like, for example, Death in Texas or also Espavile, they're really well set up to deal with, like, random yeah. vanilla creatures, right? There's Flicker Wisp flickering the token out and stuff like that. And, yeah, they have plenty of ways to deal with it, as you said. And um, what's interesting is they use the old templating on this, like Flicker Wisp. So what I mean is when it comes to play, oh, you have the ETB trigger and you can respond to that by, like, violating in a Flicker Wisp, for example. And then you'll get the leave trigger and then you'll get another uh, ETB trigger ETB. again. So you can permanently exile an Oko, for example, any permanent it could target by doing that, which is weird because they kind of moved away from that templating. Like some of the more recent ones, I remember Kite Seal Freebooter and stuff like that. Um, so that's pretty cool. This is what Death and Taxes likes, especially, and Esper Vile. Yeah, I think it only works with the old templating, right? Because in, for the other cards, like like Oblivion Ring, which was changed into Banishing Light, yeah. uh, the original thing comes back. But when the original thing does come back, uh, you, but here the original thing doesn't come back, right? So I, yeah. I guess that's why they needed the old templating. Well, that's how that's, this is worded. This is this is in the old way. Oh, this is in the old way. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah. But I think you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, oh yeah, now I got it. Okay. Yeah. The, the I think the reason you can't write it in the new way is because the new way is about the thing coming back. I see. Once I see this is gone. So here you have to, like, you could word it in a way for as long as Skyclaw. No, even that wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's messy. <laughs> but, it's uh, quite messy. I like it. That's why we like what we like in Legacy, especially yeah. in those wild decks, right? Yeah, Lots yeah, of totally. interesting interactions. So there's not too much to say other than this card is really good and it will go in those decks, I believe. I think it'll be a multiple. I think it'll be two to three kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Both decks are really clogged up at the three drop slot already. But I think the card is good enough to to do that. I'm going to give a public service announcement. This card doesn't have flying. I keep looking at it thinking it has flying. Oh, man. And the illusion doesn't have flying either. Just keep that in your mind. I'm staring at the picture right now thinking that is a 2-2 flying, but it's not. She's levitating or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's It's even a core spirit. Like, if it's a core spirit, like, how is it not flying? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really thought it was flying until... I would have totally fallen for that. Until I'm reading the card out now, yeah. Cool. And speaking of flying, um, let me pick the next one. That's mm -hmm. Archon of Emeria. It's a 2-3 flying for two colorless and a white. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. So none of that non-creature, non-creature, uh, non whatever, nonsense, non-artifact nonsense. Just one spell per turn per player. Non-basic lands your opponent's control. Enter the battlefield tapped. I like that they actually they phrased it in the, in the plural because it could be a multiplayer card. So this is not bad right this could be a one-off in some kind of decks the problem i see with it is the three toughness actually <laughs> it's it's kind of funny if you're a white hate bear it's actually better if you have two toughness than if you have three toughness because of recruit of the guard true my problem is the three mana yeah three toughness is bad because a bolt like you want to be two or four like you said for a creature or four for bolt but i think three mana the effects are cool they are exactly what something like death and taxes would want but i think three mana is just one mana too much for this card. Like we've seen Thalia, Heretic, Cathar, sees Fringe play, but it's never picked up because all these decks have so many good hate bears at three mana. At three mana, you could play a Sanctum Prelate, which I think is much mm. more disruptive than this card. Looking at it from the Earth's perspective, Thalia, Heretic, Cathar is the most annoying thing that you see in main decks. I mean, there's yeah. one Canonist and Containment Priest, but as, as main deck cards go, making your cradles come to play tap that's just like you usually use them as, as one-shot rituals against these kind of decks and then they will get ported and uh, wasted in the oblivion 
but yeah, I agree. This is this is not really there. Like if it was a two four and could actually block Delvar, now maybe we'd be talking. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I it's, think it's not quite there. Okay, deleting it from the file. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next pick? Um, let's keep going with the uh, well, not actually keep going with the good ones. Let's go with another good one. I think Seagate Stormcaller. So this one's been picking up some a lot of chatter, and I think it's a pretty strong card. So it's a one and a blue for a two one. Uh, it has kicker for four and a blue, which is probably quite relevant for this format. It's a human wizard, so pretty relevant creature types. Uh, when Seagate Stormcall enters the battlefield, copy the next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost two or less you cast this turn when you cast it. If Seagate, Seagate Stormcaller was kicked, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies. So as I said, the kick thing, I don't think that's really happening very much. But this is like a Snapcaster Mage, is the most obvious thing to show it against but they have some pros and cons i think they actually become a lot more different as you start to think about it further so snapcaster mage gets better as the game goes longer it becomes almost like a demonic tutor for your best spell you just have access to the removal spell you need the counter spell you need so it's also got flash obviously and this doesn't have flash so snapcaster mage is like a better control card it's better when you want the game to do it later Stormgate Seagate Stormcaller is a worse top deck later because you need to have the spell to cast after you cast the Stormcaller. So um, it's actually just a much more proactive card. And I think it goes quite... And uh, what's been pointed out to me a few times is you don't have to pay additional costs for the instant or sorcery. So you could do something like cast it and then cast Neoform, sacrificing it and getting two or three drops or something. Or you can cast Crop Rotation or Cathartic Reunion and stuff. Sorry, so, I'm laughing. <laughs> You're laughing at the Neoform thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go and get Spike Feeder and Heliod. Or like, <laughs> y- y- you can combo off it. I bet. Yeah, so I think that the way to look at this is actually not like Snapcaster Mage, like I first said, and how I first thought of it. It's a it's a proactive card, and you should be playing it in a deck with like discard spells. Uh, it's pretty cool with the, um, the new one-mana sacrifice creature draw two cards. I've forgotten the name. Oh, Village Rights. Village right? Rights is pretty cool with that. So you could even sacrifice it and then just draw four cards for three mana. Um, yeah, I, I think you can see play, but... You know what? I think this card is going to be most of the time. It's going to be a three mana ponder that gives you a Goblin Piker. Yeah. Like a well, one vanilla. So it does save your mana, which is pretty relevant. So when you cast this and then a ponder, that's three mana and you get two ponders. V- versus Snapcast and Mage, you spend a mana for a ponder, then two for the Snapcast, then a, then a fourth for the ponder. So it is. It is less mana. Um, I, I'm just struggling to see where it sl- slots in to anything that exists currently. And if you look at Legacy right now, like Snapcaster Mage even struggles to find spots in, in the front. Snapcaster Mage is just not played in anything really right now. It's yeah. a two of in some of the like Miracle Slanted Snow decks, but that's it. So, yeah, I, I don't have too much other than say that I think the card is strong. I think it could see play, but I don't know where yet. So for my next card, it's called Wayward Guide Beast. It's one red, it's a 2-2 Trample Haste. It has awesome artwork, by the way. Mm-hmm. And when Wayward Guide Beast deals combat damage to a player, return a land you control to its owner's hand. I gotta say, I was more excited for this card in the beginning, but then I thought about it a couple more times. And I think that, that as a card, it's really good. Because so the, the way it will usually play out is you play it on the first turn, you attack, which like you get a 2-2 haste on the first turn without a downside like, I don't know, Goblin Guide, which can potentially give your opponent a big advantage. 
but then in the second turn, you attack again. Like, you don't make your first land drop again on your second turn, so you can basically negate the, the disadvantage on it on the second turn. You attack again, you, you dealt far damage by now, then you play your land. And now here's the thing where it gets really weird for me. You can't play the game in a way where on the second turn you bolt their blocker. You can't play your Goblin Guide or your Swift Spear on your second turn, otherwise you're going to lose your land drop again. And that, that stuff will add up if you add your... Like, if you start your third turn with no lands in play, that's really not where you want to be. And also, these kind of burn decks, they don't really suffer from not having enough one-drops, I feel like. They, they have four Swift Spears, they have four Goblin Guides, and then you can find other stuff if you, if you want to have more, like... Worst case scenario, I guess Grim Lavament, so even though that's not seeing play anymore. That's so, yeah, that m- maybe I get deceived by the awesome artwork. I don't know. It's <laughs> I think I agree. The drawback, the drawback is too bad. I guess you're obviously playing Eidolon in this deck as well. If you open a hand with like two mountains, Guide Beast, and Eidolon, true, do you attack with it on the first turn? This is so bad. <laughs> I, I get, <laughs> okay, I'm deleting it. You, you pick the next one. <laughs> you have a big selection of, of other okay, good stuff. Cool. Actually, we don't. I'm going to go to Blood Chief's Thirst. So this is a black removal spell. It's one black mana, destroy target creature or planeswalker with a converted mana cost two or less. So, and then you can kick it for two and a black extra, so four mana total. If the spell's kicked, instead destroy target creature or planeswalker. That's it. So I think this is pretty good, actually. It's It kills Delver or Dreadful Darkness for one black mana. Being a sorcery does hurt it. Like, it's probably not as good as Fatal Push. But the fact that for four mana, you can then go up to kill Anoko, Teferi, Jace, whatever. I kind of like it. What is this chase that you talk about? Oh, yeah. Have you heard of that card? It's a new one. I've seen it in like some, some weird rogue yeah. deck. It's, it's still around. But um, I think this is the kind of card that could be a one-of in the Snow decks or like in Strifo's kind of decks. Maybe he just plays Assassin's Trophies already. It, prob- it probably won't be played, but I think it's a good one to keep on your radar if you think that you can negate the downsides of sorceries if your deck plays in that style already. And you just want another one-mana removal spell for Delver or Arcanist, but then can kill the Oko coming later as well. It's nice and flexible. It's I quite like I it. I think the, what it competes with is this new thing that we saw, what's it called? Um, eliminate, like one colorless yeah, in the black. Yeah. That actually straight up kills Oko because it kills like... It does, mana costs three or less. I think for removal, the difference between one and two mana is so huge That's in the true. format that, that this is why I like the card, because it's one mana. I think the other one is actually instant, though, which also it is, is a big it deal. Is. So, yeah, I think this is close to Eliminate, honestly. Uh, uh. Eliminate's probably slightly ahead, but I would prefer to have this against Delver. So. I actually didn't have this one in the list in the first place, but then yeah. you added it back again, so that, that tells you a lot of how I think about the card. Okay, fine. <laughs> cool. Well, let's, let's let time be our witness. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Confounding Conundrum. Whatever. This is like the Benedict Cumberbatch version of a magic card. <laughs> It's an enchantment, one colorless in the blue. When this enters the battlefield, draw a card, so it replaces itself. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player had another land enter the battlefield under their control this turn, they return a land they control to its owner's hand. So uh, it's annoying when you have fetch lands, because then your fetch lands actually like negate your land drop for a turn. I guess an upside is that you can use it with uh, Mystic Sanctuary, or, or rather your opponent can use it with That's Mystic Sanctuary. That's a downside, Sanctuary. sir. Well, it depends on... For, yeah, but, I mean, you can't use yeah. it yourself, right? So I guess for your opponent, it's an upside. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of want this card to be good, but it's not really going to be good unless you, you, you go like all in. You, you, you start adding stuff like Root Maze and 
I don't know, everything that makes having fetch lands annoying. But I don't think that's a good deck. Like, the best thing about the card is that it replaces itself. Um, if it was a, one mana, I'd be deal. super interesting. Yeah. I, I think you could play, like, a blue-green, like you said, root maze kind of stuff. You could play Sphere of Resistance as well. There's some other weird, land, like, enchantments in blue for, like, two and a blue that make people bounce lands and stuff. It's another. I think the card could be okay. It's It's a really weird effect, and I'm struggling to like see how it'll play out honestly i could see it just being sometimes annoying but the fact that it replaces itself is a huge deal and two mana is not a lot of mana for an effect that could have a an everlasting effect on the game like it kind of negates some of the euro upsides as well it, that's true that's true yeah um i but think the, the thing I is opportunity will, yeah. cost right you could be playing something else in that slot yeah it's true it's, it's it's a really cool build around like i'm i want to make a root maze deck now <laughs> so <laughs> Dude, I've been wanting to make a root maze deck for so long because yeah. I think that would be so annoying to so much. For those who don't know, root maze is an enchantment from I think Tempest yep. or was it Stronghold? I think it's Tempest. And yeah, it's one green and non-basic lands come into play tapped. So if you want to go fetch land for Tundra, that's gonna be one turn, two turn, three turns until your Tundra is online. That's like super annoying. Yeah, but you know your opponent's gonna go snow-covered forest. Uh, Astrolabe. Astrolabe. Hey, they were so smart. <laughs> turn two. Uh, island, abrupt decay, your root maze. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing matters. Okay. Okay. I'm going to delete this card. Cool. Um, I, I think it's cool. Though. I'll see you a bit. All right. Uh, let's go on to Cleansing Wildfire. So this is one in a red sorcery. Destroy target land. <gasps> Two mana, destroy target land. Got everyone's attention. The downside is its controller may search the library for basic land card, put it onto the battlefield taps, then search, shuffle their library. And it draws a card. So this is a cool one. It's doing a lot of things we've not seen before and some things we have. So destroying our land and searching for a basic is like Ghost Court. So we've had that effect already on a land. Um, two mana for mana destruction. Uh, land destruction is kind of under the rate slash over the rate for what you want to be playing in Legacy, but under rate for what's normal, like in Stone Rain. Drawing a card is a really big deal. I think the card is just so bad against like days. It's <laughs> It'll just never be played. I was quite high on, high on the card at the beginning, and I told people, wow, this is really good. Um, it's it, You just can't main deck this card because it's so bad against days. They they can daze and return their land, and it, and it fizzles it, so you don't even get the draw off it. It's slow, it's matchup dependent, and then if you want the kind of effect in your sideboard, you should play harder-hitting heart cards like Back to yeah. Basics, Blood Moon from the Ashes. So. Yeah. Like it's super upside. It's it can be an assassin's trophy at sorcery speed that draws your card. I guess if it's yeah. gonna hit a land. There there are situations but, where it's good, but that's it's not gonna be enough for this. I mean, format. by good we mean breaking even. Or I guess you could actually be upper card if if you uh, take out something that against the deck like rock diver right where they don't have mm -hmm. basic lands. But that's already a lot of things that need to go right. And yeah. if things go wrong, then your best case scenario is two mana draw a card. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not very good. I think. Yeah. It might see play in modern to help against Tron and stuff, but yeah. for Legacy, I don't see it. So I'm going to pick Feed the Swarm, which is a sorcery, one colorless and a black. Destroy target creature or enchantment and opponent controls, so you don't accidentally destroy your own stuff. Very good. Try protection <laughs> wizards. Nice. That's how you do it. 
you lose life equal to the permanence converted mana cost. So this is significant because it's a major breach of the of the color pie, right? Um, black and red, or I guess especially black, was not supposed to have removal for enchantments. And Maro already teased that on his, I think, Tumblr blog, mm -hmm. where he said that black is going to get enchantment removal, and this is straight up enchantment removal. So how do you think this is actually going to fit into Legacy? I guess the first thing that comes to mind is the only really mono black deck we have, which is Pox, but does, does Pox really struggle with enchantments? Well, I think Reanimator could play it for Leyline. Oh, Leyline! Yeah. Dude, you're so smart. I'm never going to say anything about <laughs> against you ever. <laughs> 500 yeah. IQ. I thought you were joking. <laughs> no, this is so smart. I, actually, I didn't even have this in the list. You added it back in again. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> It even takes out ooze and everything. Oh my god, this card is... I'm so high on this card. Yeah, it's, it kills Containment Priest, Leyline, ooze, whatever. I think... Oh it, god. This yeah. is bullshit, this card. Come on, dude. <laughs> That, I was surprised you didn't have on the list originally. I was like, what? This is a cool card. I'm actually still not sure that they'll play it. I think uh, Reanimator, the splashes are fairly free. And I think what green gives you in Reverent Silence and Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy is probably still better. Losing life is really bad for your Grezzebrand activations. So I actually think this card isn't as good for Reanimator as as we kind of like joked about just a second ago. But it's a cool option to have. Might go into Ice Station Zebra or like Mono Black Tinfins or something. Yeah, there there are Mono Black like um, decks that don't want to play against Leyline and stuff and hate bears. So yeah, it's a cool option to have. Awesome. Yeah. So what's your next pick? My next pick after is... you just explained my card. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let's go with uh, Yashan Implacable Earth. So this is an elemental boar, which I really love the card because it's cool creature types. So it's uh, four mana, two in a green and a white. So it's a Slesnia card, four four. When Yashan enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic forest card and a basic plains card. So both reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. Players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. So it's cool that it starts with some basics when it comes to play. That's I think that would happen when you cast it. You'll play it in decks with basics. This is a very Nick Fit card already. Um, players can't pay life or sacri sacrifice non-land permits to cast spells or abilities. Paying life is very relevant in Legacy because that shuts off Force of Will, that shuts off Fetch Lands, and non-land permits to cast spells or activate abilities. That counts for Lotus Petal, Lion's Eye Diamond, things like that. So it does actually shut off quite a lot. So I don't know, what do you think? I think it's going to be a Nick Fit card and nothing more, but it's pretty cool. It's awkward uh, with regards to that Nick Fit can't flashback the Cable Therapy, but overall it's basically that kind of theme, right? It's it's where we True. go into the not super expensive cards in Legacy, but reasonably yeah. expensive, and it's going to give you otherwise more like a vanilla body with like... Uh, the thing is, like you mentioned, I think turning off Farcifer is actually the biggest deal, especially in a deck like Nick Fit, which is looking to, to hit uh, land some heavy hitters. Yep. So... Matt, if you're listening, this this card might be for you. It also has like really awesome artwork. Artwork, I can't yeah, believe I love this is just artwork. a four-four. If you look at the artwork, this is like easily an eight-eight. It could also be the tiniest cliff in the world. Yeah, it's it's kind of reminds me of um, Princess Mononoke. It looks like something from that, which is really cool. It reminds me of Crows and Tusker, which is a card. Oh yeah, you know, it does. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Nick Fitz got some more toys. So I'm going to pick the enchantment, which I was trying to avoid because the text is so small, but we can actually <laughs> make it bigger here. So here's nice. enchantment, Valakut Exploration. Two colorless and a red. It has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card. Okay, this is quite complicated. Let's let's Go. break this down slowly. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library. You may play the card for as long as it remains exiled. So... 
it's actually kind of crazy, first of all, in the sense that you're getting insane card advantage out of this. Yeah. But at the beginning of your end step, if there are cards exiled with Radakut Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyard. So you can only really use the card advantage on the turn you get this down. And then Wallacut Exploration deals that much damage to each opponent. So this is interesting in the sense that if you end up casting the cards, then you don't deal the damage. But if you if you don't cast the cards, say you, you had a couple of fetch lands, then end of turn at least you're going to deal like, I don't know, two, three, one points of damage to your opponent. I'm actually struggling to figure out whether I want to put this in a burn deck as a like slow way to kill them, at which point it's competing with Sulfuric Vortex, or I want to put it into a control deck as a source of card advantage, because I think one thing in Legacy is if you can turn your excess lands that you will eventually draw into something useful, that's a big deal. What if I told you that there's a deck in Legacy that plays red cards already, that puts lots of lands into play on the same turn, <laughs> and wants these cards in the graveyard? It might even have the name lands in the landfall mechanic. We are so creative in Legacy, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> what is this deck? It has lands. We call it lands. This is Del- we call it Delver. Sorry, sorry. Eternal Garden. Is that better? Okay, that's uh, Eternal Garden is not the most beautiful. Eternal Garden is somewhat different from Archie Lands. Like that's actually a much more sophisticated. It's deck. true. But okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think this, I think this card could be like a good sideboard card for lands. It's pretty strong. Like what's important is you. It says you can play that card for long as it remain exiled, so you can play and lands. Cast, yeah. Um, like if if you hit the lands that you want to have into play, you play them. Otherwise, you're starting to dome the opponent. It's a thing that you can play early. You accrue lots of value off. It's very good with exploration. But then it will it will finish your opponent off as well, and it'll pull your head. You could exile the uh, explorations and cast them as well. So I could see this as like a good anti-control card. Oh god! And then if you have like so, it's basically the seven library slot in a way, right? Yeah. I mean, imagine you um. Actually, no, it doesn't work with Mana Bond, does it? Never mind. But it, it will get a lot of value. It'll draw you a lot of cards, and it'll finish your opponent off. So I think it's pretty cool. It's actually going to be insane if you have two of those in play. Then your your fetch land is going to exile four of those cards. Yeah. Wow. And then the damage yeah, like really it. adds up fast. Okay, I, I can see it as a sideboard card. We've seen something like, um, we talked about it in the last cast, um, the, the thing in standard for four mana, the enchantment frenzy, something. Experimental frenzy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. This is like one mana cheaper. Could I, be think, I think this is... Like a worse card than that in non-lands-based decks, but I think anything that is playing Exploration or Dryad of the Elysian Grove, those kind of things, is strong. And the fact that it puts the cards in the graveyard is really nice because you can loam, do stuff with Loam as well and things. It's yeah, usually yeah. that kind of stuff with that Exile stuff, but it's already pulling everything from Exile. Maybe this mm-hmm. is this is the, stat, the point where Wizards of the Coast will eventually create Exile too. Yeah. I don't know how that would work. They they have the done that already actually. Exile. Oh, absolutely removed from the game zone, right? Yep, exactly. A wall. Oh, that... <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, what other cards do you see? We have two cards left, and one of them is Jace, and one of them is not Jace. So I'm going to let you talk about Jace, you lucky thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about Thieving Skydiver. So, this is uh, one in a blue for 2-1, flying. It has kicker X, and X can't be zero. That's quite an important thing. When Thieving Skydiver enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, gain control of target Astrolabe with a converter mana cost X or less. Sorry, it's artifact, really. If the artifact is an equipment, attach it to Thieving Skydiver. So X can't be zero, so that you can't like steal just zero mana artifacts, I guess, without paying mana. So you want to be, it makes you always like pay three mana or more when you're stealing something. Two on flying body is kind of relevant. I don't know if it's like stealing an Astrolabe is nice. I don't see what else 
this is doing when for three money you could play a Dak Faden and steal anything and have a better card. I think it's a cool card and it won't see any play. <laughs> there we go. Why is it actually in our playable cards list? <laughs> hey, you you put it here. Don't look at me. No, no, no. We, we put it here upon request from from Tom, but because we okay. thought on Tom's episode we were gonna go over this, but then we didn't. Hey, have time. you can't blame past guests. No, I'm definitely not blaming him. No, no, like, no. We ended up making the call to include it. It's true, it's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it did get a little bit of attention because it's kind of almost the legacy playable rates. 2-1 flying is fine, and like stealing a Nathaval is pretty big game for 3-mana and stuff. And stealing an Astrolabia is fine. Um, sometimes you see equipment and attach it. But... Oh, good point about the other wild. I don't yeah. know if you remember this from from, from our discussion in, in our Esper wild chat. Um, we... I think at one point I actually I'm pretty sure I mentioned that I would love to be able to steal my opponent's other wilds in on a card that's actually reasonable. Yeah. And so I you think could nobody had any kind of idea how we could do that because that would be such a big deal in the mirror. So maybe you could have like one of these sideboard for in in vial for the in mirror. Recruiter thing. Yeah. You do have to cast it, so you can't vial it in and then pay one. Yeah. Yeah, I can pay three mana to see my opponents otherwise. I mean, yeah. it's going to be immediately tapped, right? But still, mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. Yeah, actually, I can see it, potentially. Awesome. So the last card in our more or less playable list, we got Chase Mirror Mage. It's, oh, surprise, Planeswalker. Have they actually ever printed Chase as a creature? Oh, they did, right? Baby Chase. Yeah, flips Prince into Prodigy. a Planeswalker. Awesome. Yeah. So it's one colorless, two blue, four loyalty, plus one. Scry 2, so not exactly amazing, but I guess for loyalty, this is already quite high. For zero, draw a card and reveal it. Remove a number of loyalty counters equal to the card's converted mana cost from Chase Mirror Mage. So it's kind of like your own personal holding mine uh, until it dies, which yeah. on average in Legacy would probably happen like after two turns or something. Two or three turns, actually. It depends on how, how well you can control your top deck with Pandas and Brainstorms. And then, on top of that, it also has kickouts. I guess it's one of the first planeswalkers with kicker. Kicker two colorless. When Chase Mirror Mage enters the battlefield, if Chase was kicked, create a copy, create a token that's a copy of Chase Mirror Mage. Except it's not legendary, otherwise they would die or one of them would die. And the starting loyalty is also one. I think if the starting loyalty was zero, uh, was four, that would be too good. Oh, even though like five mana, uh, actually, it would be pretty good. Yeah, but five mana is yeah. kind of a lot. Yeah. But yeah, then you actually you're up. You have like eight loyalty out of nowhere. Actually, they would take up. So you have ten loyalty out of nowhere. Nobody's gonna gonna remove that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, but it's not. It's one loyalty. So you have something like six loyalty out of nowhere. But then you don't have an advantage yet, right? Then you you scryed four, and if your first scry was good, then the second scry doesn't even do anything. There was a world in Legacy where this would have been like a really cool good card. I'm I'm not sure where it is right six now. Six or seven years ago, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of competing with Teferi in my in my book. Yeah. I think it's going to draw one or two cards most of the time. It's really weak to just being attacked and then dying so easily. <laughs> Which I know that can be for like some planeswalkers, but um, it, like it doesn't do anything to protect itself. Yeah, three mana. Um, I, I don't see it at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's delete it. Cool. Okay, now we got... I think a couple more cards, which we'd be surprised if they actually did something in Legacy, but there's potential. So don't we, do we want to like quickly go over them? Yeah, I have like one or two here worth mentioning. Um, I'll quickly say there's one called Kazul's Fury, which is one of the uh, in, it's a spell land card. So the backside is just a comes to play tap mountain basically. Uh, the front side is a fling for three mana. So fling is 
uh, as an additional cost to cast a spell sacrifice creature, Exalt's Fury deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to any target, and it costs two and a red. I said that I can see it in lands, but actually, I think that was when I was thinking that you could like life from the Loma or something. So it's kind of cool that you could play the land earlier and then like bounce the land back or something. You know what? It doesn't work. Ignore me. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna le delete it. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna pick Ruin Crab, which I'm reasonably excited for. It's basically another Hedron Crab, but you can't make yourself mill. So it's a one blue O three landfall. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent mills three cards. So that's really only a place for mill. Which, by the way, I streamed. It's gonna be on my YouTube in a couple of days. Uh, super interesting <laughs> deck. It actually was much better than I thought it would be, given that Mill has never really done anything in Legacy. We we ended up beating Burn, which like how does how does Mill actually beat Burn? If you want to watch that, it was like kind of crazy. We got paired against Reanimator twice, and that didn't really work out too well for our Mill deck. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we worked quite a bit on on the deck, and I can see a version that runs eight crabs. Like if you run out the first crab and they don't have the bolt, and then you run out the second crab, and then you get a fetch land, you immediately mill them for fucking 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On I, the next turn, you have a fetch land, you mill them for 12 again, and, I mean, that's crazy. I think it's a huge addition to mill. I think it could make, actually, modern mill quite good. And, yeah, legacy mill is kind of on the fringe of being tier 2, maybe? Uh, that's, yeah, <laughs> like, let's call it one of the best tier 3 decks. Like, it's there actually, yeah. like... We played some insanely close games against Delva. Cool. So yeah, I I, I think it will play four of these for sure. That, that that's the card for me. Um, anything else that sticks out to you? I, I guess we have Vampire Night Golf, uh, Nighthawk Scavenger. Yeah, none of these cards stick out to me at all. But we can. Um, it's a it's a cool card. It is just completely Vampire Nighthawk and Goyf had some fun after a party, and this is what came out. So it's uh, one black black, so three mana for a flying Death Touch lifelink. It's one plus star three. Why am I saying this? I should have given it to you. <laughs> Nighthawk, <laughs> Nighthawk Scavenger's power is equal to one plus the number of card types among card types in your opponent's graveyards. So its power is like Goyf, but only affects from your opponent's graveyards. as three toughness. So being a base one, three, flying death that's lifelink is quite good. But like it just dies to bolt and it's three mana. Yeah. It's a shame that it only counts your opponent's graveyard. If it was yours, you could try and get it oh, into true. like into like a 5-3 quite easily but it's quite unreliable yeah it's the times in legacy where you would cast three uh we would spend three mana on a random good stuff creature that's yeah that's not really what we're doing in this format anymore no no, no. okay so i'm gonna pick something i i know i'm eventually gonna feel stupid for it but somehow <laughs> the card is it's not okay i'm trying to, to navigate my way around saying the card is exciting to me because it's actually not <laughs> exciting to me but i'm just gonna say it felidar retreat it's an enchantment three colorless and a white and it just has landfall whenever land under, enters the battlefield under your control you can choose one of those two you can either make a two two white cat beast creature token or you can put a one one counter on each creature you control and those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn Call me crazy, but I feel like this is is actually kind of cool in, in like a control shell because it can't get pyroblasted, it can't get abrupt decayed, nothing can really happen to it, and you just run that out, and every couple of turns you make like like every fetch land is far power. I don't know. Is that crazy in a control mirror? Like hmm. people don't really play and treat the angels anymore, so you can actually grind them out. Do you think it's better than Gideon? Yeah, that's the thing, right? I was wondering about other planeswalkers. The other planeswalkers maybe, they maybe can it is. get attacked. Uh, I think actually it probably could be better than Gideon. I just like how, how it's almost untouchable in Legacy. Like, Assassin's Trophy, I guess. But 
Other than that, that's... That, I actually, I laughed at you before for putting this on there. I actually tried to delete it before. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, I, I didn't get it. But now you say it, I, I actually, I see that. I think it could be kind of interesting in these like snow control mirrors. Yeah, you could be onto something there. That's pretty cool. No, yeah, all right. Yeah. I, I'm putting my hands up. I think I was wrong on this one. It has a little bit of a chance. And the artwork is so weird. It is very, <laughs> very weird. It has like a bunch of cats flying around on on some rocks or something. I yeah, don't know. it's got some like skulls <laughs> and bones and very. Awesome. I love the colors, very red. True. Yeah. True. Could actually be a red card. I don't know what, but why it likes that land for stuff as yeah, well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, four more cards. Um, I think there's nothing that's really exciting here. That a lot of, I guess, a lot of people are actually excited for this scourge of the skyclaves. Yeah. So that this is, demon. Yeah. So so one in a black for a um. Star Star, Scourge of the Skyclave's power and toughness equal to 20 minus the highest lived life total among players. It has a kicker for 5 mana. If it was kicked, each player loses half their life rounded up. So this is another card that looks like it should have flying but doesn't. So watch out for it if you play against it. Um, so it's like a Death Shadow but counts both players. It's, I think it could be kind of cool in modern but in Legacy there's just like so much life gain. Like people are rowing and okoing and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry to get down with these ten, cards. Ten years ago, that there's so much life gain in Legacy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the card is not very, not that good anyway. But especially when like you can't cast until you get your opponent down from 22, 23, or actually even below twenty to begin with. Like you could be playing against like a Chalice deck and they don't open with Ancient Tomb, and you just can't cast it for ages. I think this is just straight up worse than um, Zombiefish, Gormag Angler. Yeah. Which you usually will get out on the third turn. It's going to be a 5-5, five, five, which is like super solid. Yeah. Uh, but this one, it's going to be one more mana and it's about the same size and might even come down like a turn later or something. Yeah. So if it was like you're 20... never going to pay the kick on a Diver deck. No, if it was like 20 minus the lowest life total among players, it'd be cool. But the fact that it counts your opponent's life total means you have to like put them under so much pressure. Like... It's probably better in a burn shell, actually. But but then you also need to lower your own life total. Yeah, so you play like Blood smart. Crypts and stuff. And, and, and Flame Rift and stuff. Yeah, that could be cool. Uh, okay, already deleting this one. <laughs> so one card I added here is Skyclave Shade. It's one colorless and a black for a 3-1. Skyclave Shade can't block. It has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if Skyclave Shade is in your graveyard, and it's your turn, you may cast it from your graveyard this turn. It also has kicker for three more, so if you pay five total, then it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters. I'm, the kicker really isn't about, like, I don't care about the kicker. Mm -hmm. The thing, what I care about is that three as a power in Legacy is usually quite relevant. It's quite annoying. That's where it starts becoming a thing. And the fact that it keeps coming back, like Legacy, we have so many fetch lands, you can get it back so many times. I can see it in some kind of aggressive deck where it's super, super annoying. Maybe, okay, I'm not going to say Hogak because Hogak just did like so, so much better stuff at one mana. Um, but the fact that it keeps coming back, I can't stress how annoying that is as, as yeah. a 3-1. I could see it doing some little things. Like, you probably always play Bloodgast over this, but then extra things. Like, casting it for two mana, though, is tough, especially when it can't block. Like, mm. I think there's just better ways of getting more power into play, basically. Yeah, because you can play prized amalgams as well. You can. Um, yeah. 
There's like a new I already one. deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gone. I can't see it. All right. So last couple of things. There's one which is called Ro- Roiling Vortex, which is it's kind of interesting actually. It's like got sulfurate vortex esque vibes. So it's an enchantment for one red. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, Rolling Vortex does one damage to them. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no mana was cast was spent to cast a spell, Rolling Vortex does five damage to them. And you can pay a red. Your opponents can't gain life this turn. So, yeah, it's it's like a cheaper Sulfuric Vortex, and it's kind of like a hate card against some of the Storm decks or anything relying on Lotus Pedal, LED kind of things. Though I feel like those decks can kind of just not cast the LEDs or whatever until they bounce it. So I think it's going to fall on the another card that looks like a hate card, but actually just can be ignored or doesn't do enough and it just gets bounced or destroyed if it's relevant yeah i'm looking at it as a as a cheaper version of basically sulfuric vortex so it's something you would have against like a controller stack and like, like especially in legacy right the controller stacks have a lot of life gain right now so yeah. you, this one also turns off the life gain and it turns off their force of wills which could well, i was gonna say it could be relevant against your price of progresses but those don't really care that much anymore so yeah yeah that's yeah i, I guess th- you want to get several of those out because once you're but then you gotta draw them you're a red deck so i guess mm. you're not gonna find them it's yeah. it's not that far behind vortex but i think vortex is quite a lot better yeah yeah definitely yeah. so yeah, uh last card we got is lal mage's domination uh, okay this is interesting it's a sorcery three colorless and x gain control of target creature with converted mana cost x so if you spend three more than what the creature costs you get to steal it and here's the deal this spell costs three generic mana less to cast if it targets a creature whose controller has eight or more cards in their graveyard. So it's kind of like a reverse threshold. The exciting thing is stealing Uro for four mana. The unexciting thing is that they are probably not going to have eight cards in their graveyard as you try to do that once yeah. Uro is in play. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that, that's, that's a dot. That's not really going to do anything. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so yeah, I guess that's our review. I mm-hmm. hope we didn't miss any really big ones that are gonna turn Legacy upside down. <coughs> Oko, <laughs> uh, did did we cover Lurus of the Dream Den? I bet we did. No, I no. bet we did. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't. I checked actually because I was so I was so nervous about the, us missing it. It wasn't spoiled by the time we we did our review. Oh, okay. okay. But so it, this set, I'm pretty happy by the look of it. Like, there's some kind of cool cars. There's some fringe stuff. It looks pretty underpowered compared to what we're used to, which is a really, really welcome direction, at least for me. Yeah, this I would even go as far as to say this set has the kind of power level that I think is right for Legacy, kind of. Like, yeah. you could have some outliers at times, but not ours outliers in the sense that they are all-time greats, uh, like Oko or something, but outliers in the sense that they create new decks because they are powerful enough to carry a deck on their own. But... Yeah, this this is this is a kind of set I enjoy. I could even see like I don't know. Okay, I don't really have the time for for playing standard and stuff, but that's the kind of power level I generally enjoy in Legacy, where there's like interaction. You can you can get either like tiny or bigger value out of your stuff depending on on which place in the game you are right now. There's some tricky stuff. So yeah, looking forward to to Zendikar. Is it Rising or Uprising? I guess Uprising will be the one afterwards. Zendikar Rising, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have like Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, Ravnica Legions, whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ravnica Rising. Must be one of their favorite planes. Yeah. We have a listener question from Scott. Good friend Scott, who just opened his LGS in St. Louis. Good brother, his name is. Are there any stale or dead legacy decks that may be rekindled after Sandika's release? So I'm going to go first and I'm going to say Mill. 
be just because we got the crap and I, we, I just streamed Mill with uh, Kevin and that was kind of cool and like I said I was surprised uh, I could see Mill especially if we work it out like we were gonna add um, Bafostrixes into the deck so we can buy even more time and yeah that's that's something I could see coming back I think was there anything else as a deck that really heavily oh. benefits from from what we saw yes Oopsal spells and Belcher to an extent I'm really excited to see what people do for Oopsal spells with Agadim's Awakening which is the black land I think it's a huge deal for the deck it's hard to say how deck how good the deck will be but I think that is actually the biggest winner that I can see in the whole set <laughs> okay Caleb do you remember when we had that that challenge where we had like 20 people play Belcher and the legacy oh, challenge yes. Maybe that's gonna come back. Are we gonna do an oops challenge? Ooh, oops. Oh, oh I, I'm so sorry. There was one guy in that <laughs> challenge. I tracked whom he played against. He literally played against Belcher five fucking times in the yeah. challenge. And you know Can, he was playing like, Burn. <laughs> 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 yeah. Some poor oh, bastard was sorry. playing Burn and played against Belcher five times and lost every single time, I think. And the last one he actually he actually didn't play. He he like he went away. I think he timed out or something. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had right. enough or they had enough I guess Oops challenge coming up <laughs> awesome so yeah I think with that we're, we're gonna call it a day I'm gonna jump oh, back into the shower it's somehow still way too hot it's usually when my birthday is coming up it's it's getting colder but yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's hot here too where can people find you if they wanna hear more of your insights into cards that I deleted from the, the Google Doc that turns <laughs> out to be playable there's gonna be so more that we've missed yeah um, at whitefacesmtg on Twitter is the best place to find me If you want to find me, I'm at itsjulian23 on Twitter and twitch.tv slash itsjulian. You can also find all of our stuff that we're doing on itsjulian.com. And if you want to follow the podcast, it's an ever-growing audience of on Twitter, I would say. There we post all the pictures of stuff that we are drinking right before the podcast and sometimes also some smart stuff, uh, I want to guess. We actually should post more to our Twitter. Like The Discord is already running really well, but mm -hmm. the Twitter is a bit... It is. It's Just full of... Of alcohol and water. <laughs> hey, I'm doing my part. You need to drink more wine. Oh, yeah. I actually wanted to drink wine the other day for the cast, but then I didn't have any at home. That amazing alcohol and water Twitter is at EternalMTG. You can find us there. If you want to support the running of the show, you can also support us on Patreon on patreon.com slash everydayeternal. You can join all of our supporters, just like this week, the Lord Francis. And yeah, that, that really makes a difference for us. It allows to buy equipment, just allows me to edit this kind of stuff, uh, work on future projects. So be excited for that. There's more stuff to come. And I also want to give shout outs to our biggest and longest supporters on our Eternal Witness tier, Valerio, Tommy Hanks, and Trent Browers. And on our top Grizzlebrand tier, Victor Benatz, Marge Butts, Scott Monroe, Kurush Aliste, Jeremy Gates, Martin Nielsen, Eugene Freeman, and Henrik Kokuc. So thank you so, so much. And... Just have a great week. I actually don't know when this podcast is coming out. I'm going to edit it tomorrow. But yeah, we're, we're going to have it out pretty soon. Maybe in time for a release of, of the next set. Nice. Goodbye, everyone. Let's try something like that. Goodbye. See you. GG.